The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. X out. Go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> Give me a name. Like Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Just stop yelling at me. I agree. All right, welcome once again to the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am Rich Grage alongside, as always, the King of Banter himself, Mr. Joe Lanz. And Joe, it's been a very uh, slow week uh, for us personally, the website, everything. Nothing's going on. I don't know what we're, we're going to talk about tonight. This is, I'll tell you, between, uh, I guess it was, I've been losing track of the days. I had. I don't know what day it is anymore. <laughs> I lost all track of time. And... Between Monday, at some point between like Monday night, I guess, and then. This morning, which we're talking on Thursday, Thursday evening, I didn't. There was a point there where I didn't sleep at all for like forty-five hours or something. <laughs> normal, you know, normal behavior. Because I had I had to be in Houston for a work thing on 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 Tuesday morning, and then I stayed up all night through the night and watched Wrestle Kingdom live. Then I stayed up through the entire day the next day writing the Wrestle Kingdom review, which took me like seven hours to write. Don't ask me why it takes so long to write these things. It's- well, that one, that one, a lot of times I'm like, Joe, what the hell are you doing? Let's get going. That one was actually good, though. So I, I will accept that one uh, being a little bit later than usual. Oh, that so, one was good. Yeah, the rest of them are usually trash, but this one was very good. So no, I'm, just, I'm just joking, of course. No, you did a fantastic job of that Wrestle Kingdom review. Anybody who hasn't read that yet, uh, voicewrestling.com, you can find it on there. I, I, it, a must read for anybody who's watched the show. If you haven't watched the show, if you're interested in the show, anything like that. I think it's, it's an absolute 100%. And I don't say it's very a must, absolute must read. You have to read it. It will just add new perspectives, new just it does everything. Even if it echoes your thoughts, if it's exact opposite of your thoughts, you can just the passion comes through in the writing, and and that is something that so many people struggle to do. And like even I, I have a ton of trouble getting to that point. But you were able to do that there. I mean, you you can you can feel and read your passion in that review right there. It's just, it's just fantastic work by you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I, 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 I it does. It takes me hours to write these things, and then I'm never happy with them when they're done anyway. And it's like, um, but I'm glad that people like them. I'm glad that 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 you feel like, uh, you know, that that was that's the kind of power that's in there. That, that's that's great. But I mean, so then I stayed up all day writing the review, and then. I, I was planning on staying up to watch New Year Dash, and then I was like, "No, Joe, you have to go to sleep. This is you've been up for like almost three full days." And uh, I finally went to sleep about ten minutes before New Year Dash started, actually. So maybe I should have just stayed up. And then uh, you know I got a little bit of sleep this morning, but then, but that's nothing. I mean, 
you know, that's, that's me. And then you, I mean, you're finishing off the book and what people don't know is, I mean, you do all the work on this thing. I mean, aside from the writing that the other people do, you format the thing, you put it together, you deal with all of the back end, and oh, by the way, you do just as much writing as anybody else does. I think you did 22 profiles or something. Yeah. I, to be fair, I grabbed all the really crappy guys. Like, I don't know if I count Teton as like one of the, you know, but I, one of the guys, but it counts. It counts. But count, still, on so. top of everything else, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you wrote more singles profiles than anybody else did. Um, I waited till the last minute again to get all my writing done, and then because I had that emergency work thing on deadline day, that delayed the book a day because I, I would have just finished up that morning, but I had to push the limits and I screwed everything up because then life happened <laughs> and then I couldn't finish until I got home. So it delayed the book a day, but um, it may have been a happy accident. I think releasing the book the day of the dome might be something we'll, we'll try again. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it, the sales have been fantastic. For uh, I just want to thank anybody who's downloaded it so far, whether you've uh, downloaded it for free, which you can do on PayHip, or if you named your own price, which you can also do uh, on PayHip, or now that it's available on Amazon, which is a few hours before we started recording, it, it popped up finally on Amazon. Uh, you go to voicewrestling.com slash NJPW16book. That's NJPW16book, voicewrestling.com, uh, to do that. Uh, like we we way outpaced what we've done even prior years, and I'd like to think that's a, a blend of when we released it because I think that we we got super lucky, and we'll, we'll talk about the show here in a little bit. I mean, you and I both thought that this was going to be a great show, but I don't know that we thought it would be quite as good as it was, and there'd be quite as much buzz. I could sense kind of the day before when I started seeing downloads of our old book start firing up left and right. Like we had somewhere close to 150 or so downloads of our 2015 and 2014 books, like hours before Wrestle Kingdom, and I'm thinking, oh. No, no, this is this is a big deal. This maybe we kind of underrated how big of a deal this was. Then for Russell Kingdom to be such a phenomenal show, and for that main event to be so good, and that that stretch of matches that we're going to talk about here in a little bit of being so awesome that I think then the hype around New Japan Pro Wrestling and the want and the desire to to read and consume New Japan content exploded. So we got we really got lucky in a lot of sense. Where I don't know that it would have been way different if we released it the day before and people would have said, oh hey, they got this book out and, and I'm really excited. But I think we just contributed in the hype because it was like everybody talking about it, everybody. Talking talking about it oh and by the way here's our book and like downloads just exploded in those first few hours so i want to thank anybody who did that but yeah we kind of maybe tripped you know easily or nicely into a, a neat little time to and hey it gives us an extra day and it lets us because before we, we try to kill ourselves to get it out before wrestle kingdom and it, it's always so hard because we have the, of course the holidays here in america we got christmas and then we get new year's and then we got you know three or four days until wrestle kingdom and basically we have to hope that we can get everything done or most of our stuff done in that time and like you said we couldn't do that this time but it almost worked maybe in that favor, and I hope that we're going to try it again next year, too, to release it on the day of Wrestle Kingdom, because I think that, you know, it, it using kept, this example that we have so far. It yeah. on the buzz. Exactly, yeah. We, we, we've always tried to contribute to the buzz, and now maybe it's a better idea for us to capitalize on the and buzz. I think, there's, is, I think there's no question that Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada helped us sell a shit ton more books. Yes, oh yes, he is on the cover, Kenny Omega, and don't believe <laughs> I have I've tweeted out that cover photo uh, illustrated by our, our, our great friend Pedro, uh, Rainmaker Inc., uh, on Twitter as well, if you want to find him out. I've tweeted that picture out many, many times to say, hey, by the way, we got a book here, Kenny Omega's on the cover. Like, that was, you know, again, that was another thing that we kind of lucked into of, you know, I thought Kenny because there was questions of who are you going to put on this cover? And I talked to Pedro and I said, well, it, Naito's had a great year. Uh, Okada's always a very good choice. He's had a fantastic year. And then I saw something he did with Kenny Omega and I said, you know what? Do a Kenny Omega one. I, I think the, the the just the way that Kenny Omega looks, it, it, it attracts you. To, it, you want to look at it. You know what I mean? Like the hair, the sunglasses, the point. I was like, that. everything is perfect there. I love that cover. 
could you do something similar to that? And he did that. And and I think, again, we got lucky in that sense where just the, the, the just seeing Kenny Omega on, on Jan- January 4th. And, and now even today, as we're recording this on, on the 5th, that guy is just attracting attention left and right from, from all facets of wrestling and all, all different corners of, of not even, I, I've seen stuff from uh, main, you know, mainstream websites that don't even cover wrestling talking about it. Guys that I would never think would watch wrestling talking about it. You got guys like, you know, a Daniel Bryan reaching out uh, to Kenny Omega, just guys left and right reaching out. I mean, he is the talk of the wrestling world right now. And what's funny is he lost in the main event, but it, it just doesn't matter. I mean, his performance was an all time great phenomenal one. So we got lucky in that sense too, but yeah, everything worked out really well. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how the book looks. I'm happy with it, how it turned out. Out. Uh, just everything in general. I've been just super excited about it. And again, voiceswrestling.com slash NJPW16book uh, to download that. You can buy it for free if you want. If you just want to say, hey, I don't know what the hell this is. I just want to download it for free and check it out. You can do that. If you want to pay us whatever price you want on pay, if you can name your own price. If you want it to be $50, we, I mean, we would recommend somewhere between $50 and $100, I think, is what we put as the, uh, the, the, you know, the preferred donation to give us. But no, whatever you want to pay is fine. And then if you want it on Amazon directly to your Kindle or, or, or whatever e-reader device you have, uh, $4.99 is the price. Uh, you can download it on Amazon as well. So either way you do it, uh, just just we want you to read it one way or another. We don't care if you buy it or if you download it for free. Just just read it. Just consume it because I think you're going to find a lot of stuff that you like in it. I think it's great when we have New Japan wrestlers sending us DMs telling us we got their hometown wrong. Right. I'm glad that I got to write. Yeah, that, that's because I know they're reading that. You know what I mean? Like that's it kind of sucks that, you know, I hope, it, well, I hope Bone Soldier's not reading. But oh, boy. But, well, yeah, he, yeah. I also told Yoshitatsu that nobody would miss him when he went to see him. Also, that poor guy, he, he, he might actually be reading it. I know, I feel There's really a bad. chance well, he's reading it. I mean, yeah, well, uh, hopefully he doesn't listen to the English commentary on uh, New Japan shows either because all they do is make fun of him, too. So I guess, poor guy. I'm starting to feel kind of bad for him, but uh, he's just so awful. That but I, I mean, we really, we really did look out because when you think about it, for the, for the type of people who are going to be interested in a book like that, and the type of people who are going to listen to, you know, this kind of show, there's really been three matches, I think, in the last year that have been the most buzzworthy matches in wrestling. And that's Ricochet, Willow Spray from the best of Super Juniors. It's uh, uh, Brock Lesnar, Goldberg. And I think it was the Okada and uh, Omega match. I think without question, those are the three most buzzworthy matches that have happened in pro wrestling over the last, I don't know, six to ten months or, or whatever the case may be, even the last 12 months. And we really lucked out that the book came out on the day where this was the most talked about thing in all of wrestling. So we kind of did look out um, from that perspective. But uh, but yeah, check out the book. And then on top of all of that, Rich, now we're rolling out the Voice of Wrestling match at the Ear Bowl, which we threw together hastily today. <laughs> this- you told me. It was like the day before. And you said, I, I don't want to tell you this. But we have to do the match of the year. And I was like, oh, come on. I want like six hours of not having to do anything. But no, this, is, this isn't too bad. This is we, match of the year is nice. We've done it so many years now. It's, it's nice and easy. It's not hard. Yeah. So and, 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 and uh, there are some early ballots out. Our staff has received their ballots. I like to get it out to a few people at first. It's if there's any bugs in the system. But uh, it looks like everything's OK. This weekend, all the other ballots should be out uh, by Sunday at the latest. I'm just going to sit in the house and and mail ballots out like i do every year for two or three straight days and then uh any we lead really terrible lives you know that like new year's day i just came home and like worked on this book like all i all my... remember two years ago when you went to the new year's eve party that had no black people uh there were four i, I got pictures yeah, right. of the four. You, you, yeah. you sent photo- i went to that same party this uh this year there was uh there was at least 12 this you time sent so. photographic evidence to prove <laughs> that you were <laughs> that you were in mixed company but uh, but listen, that's a very deep and old inside joke from this show. Rich is not a racist, just to make that clear. We have many more ah. listeners now. But uh, but the point here being, that year, a couple of years ago, if you recall, 
I sat in my house all New Year's Eve, all through the night, through midnight, and proofread the entire book. (laughs) So you're right. We have no lives. We spend our New Year's Eves sitting in the house proofreading 800-page New Japan Pro Wrestling books. So, yeah. And you've already already got your weekend plan to send emails. I'm basically (laughs) not going to leave the house because it, it, it is an arduous task tracking all these people down, making sure they're getting the ballots. Um, and, 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 and as you know, Rich, I mean, we get a great response. I don't even remember last year. We had what close to 200 responses to I, whatever it was. Yeah. It was 219. I think was the exact number Something but... like that. It was around 200, but I send out probably three times as many ballots. That's what people don't understand. I mean, I send ballots to anybody you can think of. I mean, anyone that's in pro wrestling media, you know, and, and quotes, cause even the smallest blogs, I mean, I, I, dig under every rock. I send them to every big name. I mean, a lot of people don't send, most of the people don't send them back, but I mean, I try to at least give everyone the opportunity to participate. And even then, once I'm done sending them, I put out the call and I say, look, if you didn't get one and you want one, ask for one. And then I give them the people or give them to more people. So, uh, but we rolled it out. We actually got one response back, Rich. The current clubhouse leader is Kazuchika Okada versus Tomohiro Ishii from G1. So that's well on pace to win the match of the year after... <laughs> One ballot has been received. Do you, <laughs> yeah. do you ever do you ever watch like on election night and there'll be and I'm not even talking about presidential like any kind of election, right? It could be for your city council or for mayor or for governor or whatever. And you know, it, it, you know, after point one percent of the precincts, yeah, you got Wolf Blitzer on the on the screen touching things, going, "Oh, here we go!" They're already they're in. already <laughs> declaring the winner. <laughs> With one percent of the districts in, we can declare Kazuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, right, so don't even send in your ballots. We're good. We're done. We got it. It's so. all over. I will not reveal who that man was uh, who got the ballot in. I don't want to publicly. Um, put uh brennan patrick's ballot um out there no we would never do something but uh but yes brennan patrick was he he, look he's the first guy this year he was the first guy to get it in we sent it out and he had his turned in with full blurbs well written by the way um within like a half hour so this man was clearly prepared but uh if you normally receive a ballot look for it this weekend and um yeah so rich uh we've been busy boys and you know rich if you're a busy boy you might not have time to go shopping Grocery shopping, in fact. I have the answer for you, Rich. Blue Apron. You know, let me tell you something, Rich. Those who spend a lot at restaurants or high-end grocery chains can now spend under $10 per person for a delicious meal, including some featured upcoming meals like spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes, pork chops and garlic piccata, and mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas. Let me tell you, Rich, I've had the spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes. And they taste just as good as they sound. Believe okay, me. believe me, they're they're delicious, Rich. But look. I, I looked at those. That, that that one stuck out to me as ooh, I want that. <laughs> I need that now. And you should. Life. They're very good. And for less than ten dollars per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers these seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. You choose from a variety of new recipes each week, or you just let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. The recipes are not repeated within a year, so you never get bored. They never give you the same meal within the same 365-day period, Rich. It's amazing. Each meal comes with step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe cards and pre-portioned ingredients that can be prepped in 40 minutes or less. Check it out this week. Get your first three meals for free. Three meals for free with free shipping. Zero dollars. That's a lot of free. That's a lot of free, Joe. Zero dollars, Craig. All you got to do is go to blueapron.com slash V-O-W 
You will love how good it feels, it tastes, to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't even wait. That's blueapron.com slash VOW. Blueapron.com slash VOW. Three feed meals, free shipping. It's not bad. Better way to cook as well. Blue Apron, I love it. But uh, yeah, that's... um... Good for uh, date nights or when we're by ourselves sitting in our rooms, <laughs> pantsless, sending out emails all the time. It's nice and easy. Either one. If, if you want to have a date, you want to have a nice meal with the wife or the sniffing other, or you want to sit on your, you know, in your underwear and, and do ballots and you have no time to go out to a restaurant and you need to have this thing done in 40 minutes. You got it. BlueApron.com. The pre-prepped Blue Apron meals are going to come in handy for me this weekend. Blue I was going to say in your bunker. How much, are, you, are you ready with Coke Zero? You got Corks, yeah, Coke Zero and your Blue Apron meals, right? You're all set. I, I'm going shopping right after this uh, this podcast is over. I got to stock up on a couple cases of blue of, uh, of the Coke Zero. <laughs> I got to get the, uh, you know what I'm going to get again? The cream soda. And I tell you, I haven't had the cream soda in a while, Rich. I like cream soda, yeah. You know, that, that our good friend Chris doing the Voices of Wrestling clips, he posted, remember the, the, the cream soda clips? Uh, yeah. Is there a cream soda clip? He, I remember us talking about he, it. But yeah, I, he I... clipped it. He clipped oh, it. Wow. So, oh, you wow. Know, okay. it, it reminded me of the cream soda, and now I've, been, I've, <laughs> I've had a hankering for the cream soda. What was the brand? I'm sure this is the exact conversation we had before. What was the brand of cream soda that you uh... – I believe it was A&W. Okay, that's the best one. So that's fine. You're good. You're right. Oh, well, just want to make well, sure. All right, as long as you've prejudged my cream soda. Stuff. Yeah, well, I don't want you getting like I don't want you getting like the store brand, you know, cream soda or whatever. Which is the store some store brand stuff is fine. I mean, but the cream soda, you know, pay a little, pay you know, the extra forty cents and get get some good cream let soda. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, Did I strike you as a store brand guy. Uh, no, I mean I am because you call me cheap all the time, and and I am absolutely. I mean, but, if uh, no, the you store don't... brand guy here. You're the store brand guy. Yeah, absolutely. Like store brand cereal, I'm cool with. I'm not going to spend four bucks on cereal. That's ridiculous. But. uh uh, no, you don't strike me as store brand guy. Wait, do you but... get the cereal that comes in like the bags? <laughs> I don't get the bag. No, no, that's a little too much. That th- th- that's a good value though. I, there's been times where I've considered it, but it's yeah, the bag. Good cause... value. What? Listen, the bag's me. unwieldy. It's too big. Rich, are you 60, like you are open you 65 it. Sixty-five years old. What do you mean? A good <laughs> I mean, you can't spend an extra buck to get the actual Fruit Loops you gotta get. It's the same shit. It's all just processed garbage. Who cares? Oh, I buy good meat. I buy good. I'm not gonna process crap. It's just processed crap. I don't care if it's. I'm not gonna spend an extra dollar to destroy my body. Listen, Are you kidding? No. I want the authentic toucan Sam on my box. I it's don't... no different. If I gave you two bowls, you would have no yeah, clue. Yeah, but what that, the, the thing is. is, it's all about the stuff. I look. I want. Oh, you're you're a box reader though, right? I want toucan Sam on my box. I don't want whatever fraudulent cartoon character they come up with for like the bag on the fruit rounds on the fruit rounds yeah yeah, yeah. and it won't be a toucan it'll be like a canary you know they'll change it up a little you know i don't want like bill the canary i want toucan sam i want the real deal you know bill the canary can go kick rocks i'm not interested in him because he he, you know he's a fugazi i'm not interested in that toucan sam rich i'll spend the extra dollar eight you see what I'm saying? What am I going to do with that dollar eight otherwise? I don't want you. Yeah, I, add up. What are you like storing away the dollar eight every time, like in a in a, in a, <laughs> like am, a piggy yeah. bank or something? Like an old you have an old school piggy bank, and you're like, I do not have an old school. I have a uh, it's a it's a sortable change thing. If that's what oh you're, my uh, god, you know what you totally do? It's right on your nightstand. <laughs> it it's right on your nightstand. I you know I asked you what kind of marital age you had in that nightstand, and you, and, and and I made you very uncomfortable a couple weeks. Because I don't. I just have a, a, a but, coin separator. Exactly. You have a you have coin separators. Do they come with little wrappers too, so you can roll? Uh, I know, but I have the wrappers though because uh, my my bank won't like cash in change anymore so last time i came they were like yeah you can put them in these wrappers and then give them to us and i was like no that you're a bank that's your only purpose is to exchange currency right wait wait, wait. so are you bringing like bags full of coins like i used to yeah like scrooge mcduck and just plopping them yeah on the absolutely 
I don't blame them for rejecting you. I mean, you could at least roll them. That's their job. It's a pain. Why can't you roll them? What the f- No, I'm not doing that. Think about if you were on- Why don't you bring your own sausage casing, and when you go to the grocery store, they can they can just give you a hunk of meat, and you can case your own sausage, right? Let me ask, let me ask you a question. If you were on the other side of the counter, wouldn't you appreciate it if the customer brought the coins, you know, pre-rolled? Shouldn't we all... They have a machine. They pour it into a machine, and then they give it to you. Yeah. They have a machines. Lot of banks it's have, I see a it. Lot of banks... I see it. It's right there. A lot of banks have that machine in the lobby. Yours doesn't have it in the lobby. If you... No, they have it behind the desk. And I just... If they have it... Because there's another bank that I go to that has it in the lobby. But that bank's way too far away. I don't feel like driving that far to do it. So I see this one, and I'm looking at the machine. Oh, it's hold right on a there. Second. You've got the option to go to the other bank. That one's way too far away. I'm not doing that. And you pour the coins in the machine, and it gives you like a receipt, and then you bring the yeah, receipt yeah. to the teller, and they just deposit yeah, the money. Yeah, they have that. Well, I wish this bank would just do that. They have the machine See, right you there. Know what that machine well, then they have those like coin stars at like the grocery yeah, stores, yeah. but that shit's garbage because it takes like twenty percent. Oh away. my not, god, you're so cheap. Why? No, I'm not going to so, give them twenty percent for nothing. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. All right, so, and you do realize that those those coin machines in the lobbies of the banks, like when you're standing in line for, to use that, right? Do you ever notice that the rest of the people in line are people with their kids? It's like designed for children, like to bring like. Well, I, I don't think the Coin King is designed so for you're, children. It so. is. So you're <laughs> you're standing there with your bags of pennies, like Scrooge McDuck. There's a lot of quarters in there, buddy. But and that's on all the right. weekend, you know, you're going in there first thing in the morning, and the rest of the people in line are like with their kids who are bringing, you know, their eight dollars and change. That they're gonna go blow with. The- I'm taking home like sixty bucks every time I go I, out there. I, so you know, I believe jokes on jokes on you. you. Could just go to the coin store at the grocery store. And- but I'm not. T- then they're gonna take twenty percent. Listen, they. I don't want that. Rich, they gotta get a taste. That's what their business. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Well, the, the bank's job is to exchange currency, correct? Right. So I give them currency, and they're no, yeah, but you no, can't just can't dump eighteen dollars in nickels and pennies. On the I'm not account. asking them to count every penny. They have the machine right there. I, I see it. I see so the you- machine. So you're telling me that they will not take your bags of coins? No, one time, one time they said you can come sometime when we're not busy and we'll do it for you. Okay, that's and mind you, I'm the only person in this fucking bank. It's a Saturday morning. I'm like, well, just it's gonna take 13 seconds to pour it in there. I mean, just do it. Okay, I, okay, I think I'm coming around to your side here because if the machine is right behind them, and that's the I said, would you just let me go do it? If you just let me behind the counter? Well, they can't do that. I, you, gonna, well, I guess I'm gonna get arrested. They're gonna tase at one point. you and they're gonna call the cops and you're gonna yeah. go into jail. That you know, you'd be a you, That'd be justified. You, you, you know, you, you basically you'd be uh, you'd be Nick Gage at that point. You'd be you know, bat rock. <laughs> right. You'd be locked. and everybody would love me unconditionally, even though I'm a criminal. But yeah, yeah you'd be Nick Gage. But um, yeah, okay, I'm starting to come around, and see things your way. If the machine is right behind them, then maybe yeah, it is kind of irrational to ask you to roll them since they can just dump it into the machine. That's Thank bad you. customer service. Thank you. Okay. Do you want to bury this bank chain on the air? It's Chase. It's Chase, and they're garbage. There you go. So we have the ta- listen. This is a powerful media. <laughs> Everyone's going to stake their money out. We're going to cause another Great Depression here. Everyone's going to take their money out of the Chase Everyone savings. Go pull your money out of Chase. Yeah, listen to Joe and go pull your money out of Chase. They're, they're my. They handle my mortgage, by the way. Yeah, they might too. But but you know we, we, we're a powerful media entity here on the uh, Voice Wrestling Podcast Network on the Audio Boom. Uh, you know, so we we carry a lot of weight, my man. So you tell people to take their money out of a chase, they might just do that. You know, I don't know if you've been following my shoot account, but I've been having a lot of problems over at the Genghis Grill. Nice. 
scallops, okay. right? You're, they, for some reason, they took the scallops off the. So what? What is this Genghis grill? I was trying to figure out what it was. I couldn't quite get to. We'll get to Wrestle Kingdom, by the way. I promise we're gonna get. To so Wrestle it's Kingdom. Mongolian barbecue. Okay, and I don't know if you ever. Okay. Been to a yeah, Mongolian yeah. Barbecue. It's it's like if the meal stinks, it's your fault because you're making it yourself. Like you go down the line and and they give you like a bowl gimmick, you know, and you put whatever meats and vegetables and spices and sauces or whatever you want in the bowl, and then you give it to like, uh, like you know what's supposed to be an authentic Mongolian man behind the counter, but usually, you know, it's just like some American guy, which I don't, which, you know, I wish it was an authentic Mongolian man. Do they advertise it as being an authentic Mongolian guy? It, like, I don't know why you're, does he wear, like, how, do, how does an authentic Mongolian guy well, look, look in it, your mind? If the place is called... What, the Fu Manchu or something? What do you want out of I don't, this guy? I, listen, like, all I know is that they're never Asian, so I'm assuming they're not Mongolian, okay? They don't yeah. look like Blue Wolf. Okay, Blue Wolf was a Mongolian. You know, these men do not look Mongolian behind there. They're, they, you know, they either look Hispanic or white. There's a bl- today. Today it was a black dude. I know he's not Mongolian. You know, <laughs> he was like he he was like, hey, bro. Okay, that's not a Mongolian if you say hey, bro. But anyway, so you 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 make you put your own food in your little bowl gimmick and you bring it to the guy and then then you know he throws it on the grill and he's fry and then you go sit and they bring it out to you. But the point is, for some reason they've removed the scallops. From like the buffet line, it's scallops are no longer an option. Rich, I like a nice seafood bowl. Okay, I go with scallops. I go with some calamari. I throw some shrimp in there. There's crab meat. You know what I mean? The scallops were like the main part, though. I would I would predominantly load my bowl with scallops. And on my last three trips, there's no scallops. So I, I've been tweeting at Genghis Grill to get some answers. Okay, and they won't answer me. They're ignoring me. I warned them many times that I was going to bury them. On my very popular podcast, okay, and and they have not heeded my warning. So as you're burying Chase, I'm burying Genghis Grill for removing the scallops from the buffet line. And you know what they replaced it with? Chorizo balls. Oof. I don't yeah. want chorizo ball. Who? Chorizo anything? I don't like chorizo at all. It's, it's garbage. Ground up chorizo balls, and every time I go, it's full. That sounds hideous. Yeah, that sounds. Every time I go, the chorizo balls are full. It's not like people are clamoring for these chorizo balls. Okay, no one's eating the chorizo balls. It's always full, you know, full to the brim. You know, the calamari or the sliced Mongolian beef or the lime chicken. It's always down. You know, you can tell that people are enjoying it. No one's eating chorizo balls. Nobody wants that shit. All I want is my scallops back. Not even now. I just want answers, Rich. They won't answer me. Well, let me tell you something. Because they don't want to say it's too expensive to have scallops there anymore, and we're trying to cut back they're, on costs. They're the first like... ones to tweet out when people send them pictures of their bowls, though. Oh, I love the Genghis Grill. Look at my lunch today. Oh, and they're See, tweeting bad. right out. That's, but they won't address my media. issue yeah. with, the, with the scallops. See, I, I run social media accounts for my companies, um, at the two companies I do for the shoot job. And, and I always always quote tweet uh, when people complain as well because I want to make it known, hey, look, you complain, and we're going to talk to you. So we're, we're, you know, I might say, hey, go to, you know, call this person or, hey, here's what you do or, hey, email this guy. Sorry about your issue. But, yeah, you, gotta, you can't just, you know, retweet the good and, and, and bury the bad. I mean, that, that looks disingenuous like you're saying right there. You, you, that's a perfect example is you asking a very simple question about what happened to my scallops and them ignoring you and then retweeting like, hey, my bowl's got soy sauce in it. Yay. Like, you know, that, that doesn't do anything. That's not, that's not the power of social media, Joe. Listen. Uh, it's about time that we use this very powerful media platform to swing our weight around, Rich. So I think Chase. <laughs> I, I, instead, I'm just going to argue about how many stars Dave Meltzer gave his show. So that's. I think that's what Chase I would. Chase should do. be counting your coins, and I demand answers with these Genghis Girl scallops. All right. Well, uh, we'll do at Chase. You know, <laughs> I think let's do this. Yeah, let's see. Let's see if we can get everybody to pull out their money out of Chase uh, today. So, as you're listening to this, drive to your nearest Chase and, and take every 
Uh, and I want all of our listeners to uh, bombard the Genghis Grill social media account and ask. <laughs> See, what's going to happen is the my part they're not going to do because that's really ridiculous and you shouldn't do that. But the second part, you know, I, you know, if you want to tweet at the Genghis Grill, Joe, you want to give that head uh, the, their their username? It's at I Genghis think. Grill. It's very simple. A little show called Wrestle Kingdom Eleven. Joe happened yesterday. Of course, you had the review on VoiceWrestling.com. Uh, lots of discussion going on right now on VoiceWrestling.com slash forums, and it's it's really the talk of the wrestling world right now. Um, before we, we're going to go match by match, but of course, as we like to do with all these shows, I'm going to start with kind of your, your big picture thoughts about this show when you were done watching it after the hours of no sleep and the, you know, running on fumes or whatever, what were your thoughts when the show ended and, and, and you closed the laptop or turned off your TV or whatever, what were your final thoughts on, on Russell Kingdom 11 before we go match by match? I thought as a show and I, 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 was thinking about this and we kind of sound like a broken record. I feel like I say this every year, but it's just that this, this, these wrestle kingdom shows continue to top themselves. I think two things set this show apart from some of the other wrestle kingdoms. And that's remember last year we had that incredible three match stretch to close the show. And one of the big talking points that we had on this show was, was that the best three match closing stretch in wrestling history. And we compared it to some of the other three match closing stretches, um, you know, on, on some of the best shows in history. And, and that was a big talking point. Well, on this show, Rich, we had a four match closing stretch that again, I don't think can possibly be matched by any other wrestling show ever. I mean, you've got three, the three matches that I've seen get five stars in different places by different people. Um, one match that got six stars from Dave Meltzer, uh, causing a ridiculous, stupid, nonsensical, angry debate from people. And the, uh, the, the, the first of the four matches, the junior match, I mean, I haven't seen anyone really go lower than like four and a half, four and a quarter on that match. I mean, you're not going to find a better four match closing stretch than that. But I think what really sets this show apart and, and, and where some people might disagree with me is, Rich, I really enjoyed the undercard on this show. I don't think that this, this show had a single weak point on the undercard. The, the lowest rating I gave was three stars for the cartoon match. thought everything else was above three, um, which, which to me, when you have a very enjoyable, very fun, very watchable undercard, and then a closing stretch like this show had with the four big matches all delivering to an insane degree, you have to consider this one of the greatest wrestling shows of all time. Do I think it's the greatest wrestling show of all time? I don't know. I'd really have to research something like that, compare it to other shows. I did compare it to some of the other recent Wrestle Kingdoms, and I do think it did top all of those. I can definitively say that I do believe that. Uh, but yeah, this is certainly in the conversation for one of the greatest wrestling shows of all time, in my opinion. I, I think, kind of echoing your thoughts a little bit, I, I did think the undercard was, I don't think I liked it quite as much as you, but I thought there was something a little bit different about every single match on the show, and especially those last four. But I want to talk about the undercard here in a bit. But like every one of the undercard matches felt a little bit different. You know what I mean? There, nothing felt redundant on this show whatsoever. The Rumble couldn't have been any different than the, the anime match with Tiger Mask W. The tag match had its own little story there. Uh, the Never Open Weight Six Man, the match that I probably liked the least out of anything on the show. 
it was still fine. It was okay, and it had its own little story. The Cody Juice Robinson what felt different from a bunch of other things. Then you have Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and that you know that again was a different, unique sort of atmosphere and a different, unique sort of match than anything else on the show. On uh, the tag match, had its own little things too. I'm, I'm kind of tied between the tag match and the, the never open weight as as the ones uh, my you know my two least favorite. But I say least favorite in the sense that both those had entertaining aspects to them, and they were both kept relatively short too. That tag match you, you know was only 12 minutes or so. The the never open weight was only 17 somewhere around there. So it wasn't too bad. And then every match that needed time got time. And those last four matches, and, and you talked about the four-match stretch, and I think you alluded to this on Twitter and I believe a little bit in, in your review as well, every single one of those had something different for everybody. I mean, the, the the junior heavyweight match was worked in no way similar to the Intercontinental title match. The the never open weight was not anywhere similar to the main event. And, and you know, nothing was – all those were different. They were all unique. That when they were over, you kind of had to take a breath and go, okay, now this. It wasn't just like, all right, here we go. Here's another example of the New Japan style. Or oh, here's another example of this. Or, oh, here's another member of this stable, another member of this. Everything felt different and unique. And everybody had different directions. And everybody had just different things to do. And, 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 and just like when you look at that stretch too, it wasn't just that they were all great matches, which they absolutely were. But it was like everyone was their own self-contained story and their own self-contained show in a sense where it, it, it just worked so well where they followed each other up so perfectly as well. It, it was just an absolute perfect format stretch to finish the show. Yeah, in, in, my, in my review, you know, the theme of, one of the themes of my review was, you know, I thought the junior match was, was the sprint and then the never match was the fight and the intercontinental match was the story and then the, uh, the main event was the spectacle. Yeah. And really, all four of them, that describes all four of them perfectly. And they were all very different. None of them were the same style of match, and yet all of them were great. And another interesting thing was, and by this point during the show, you had woken up for the second half. You were asleep for the first half, but you watched the second half live. And and I know you saw me tweet this out, but after the junior match, after Hiromu and Kushida, I tweeted out, man, I, you know, good luck topping that. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it's over. Put a bow on this at show. At that point in the show, I was like, you know, these other three matches are going to have a real time hard time topping that. I think my exact tweet was, "Good luck topping that." But I'm 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 betting that at least one of these three matches manages to top it, and all three of them did. I mean, this was just an insane, almost in order too, which is another yes. incredible thing to do too. Where it was like, well, that's really good. Go, okay. Oh, that. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, how about? Okay. All right. Oh, okay. They're all good. They're all great. And each one is better than the Has other. Has there Fantastic. ever been like, two like... and a half hours of wrestling better than that? I mean, because again, it was all so different. There's some G1 shows that you can point to that ran six or seven or even eight matches deep with stuff that was around four stars or better. But were all the matches different? like they were for the final stretch on this show. I don't know the answer to that. You know what I mean? There's that great G1 show in 2013. I don't remember the night, but it was like seven matches deep. It was night nine, if I remember correctly. Or something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was one of those. I, I think nine is, is what I'm... But yeah, it, 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 go on. Which, which, you know, it was... But, but those are all 12-minute G1-style sprints with the exception of possibly the main event or the same event, this was four matches that were all completely different. And look, I'm not saying that the undercard was great, but what I'm saying is the undercard was good. It was all entertaining. There was right. Nothing was a drag. Yes. At any point. And, and one thing that a five hour show, which is hard to do almost six hours. And, and, yeah. and, and one thing that kind of bothers me, you know, when you watch people react live to wrestling shows these days is like, 
you know, you'll be four matches into a show like this and there's people going, ah, nothing's blown me away yet. <laughs> and it's like, all right, but these are the prelims. You know, they're not supposed to blow you away. And if if anything on the undercard does blow you away, when it comes to a big New Japan show, like, that means you're in for a great show because the top of the card always... Del- when does the top of the card not deliver on these big New Japan shows? I mean, so... It's a, it's a bonus if you get great matches on an undercard. All you really want on an undercard is a good, enjoyable undercard. And I think this Wrestle Kingdom delivered that more so than there's always been one or two matches on these. And you talked about them a little bit in the preview. We talked about um, some of these Wrestle Kingdom undercards. There's always a couple of matches that are just like, you know, you're two star specials. And you just didn't get to me. You didn't get that here. I mean, we're going to go. We're going to run through the card, but. Um, you know, so I think that propped up the show as well because everything on the undercard was solid. All right. I think we got to start with the main event. We're not going to start with the rumble. I mean, that'd be ridiculous to to do that. It's something we've, we've learned over the years of doing this is that we, you know, we'll review these shows and we get to the main event and we're, we're exhausted. So let's get to the main event right now. Uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Kenny Omega. Of course, Okada defeats Omega, uh, to retain the IWGP heavyweight championship. Uh, right when it ended, I, I tweeted out, I, uh, kind of a, a Twitter poll saying, you know, guys, what is, what was your favorite match of Wrestle Kingdom 11? You know, I, and I put the last four in there. I, I assumed nobody was going to say the never open weight, uh, six man match. I was, I was pretty safe in my assumption that it was going to be those three. I was assuming, okay, it'd be a close little race. Cause that Naito, Naito uh, Tanahashi rather, a lot of people love that one. And I heard a lot of hype about, ah, this Okada, you know, you know 83%. 83% out of nearly 3,000 people voted that main event okay, as that, their favorite. That, that fucking stunned me. I was shocked, too. And, I was just looking at it, and it keeps going up and up and up and up, and I'm like, okay. Like, first of all, right. first of all like, 3,000 people responded to our dumb poll. That's number one. 2,500. Sorry, I, I, I overstated that, it. That's I'm okay. Gonna, yeah, say 3,000. You know, round up. It sounds it's 2,547 as, as of recording here. So, you know, you round up at 3,000. So there you go. So, But the other thing that stunned me was when you posted the poll – you know, at six o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. At that point, I really thought all four matches were going to get relatively equal support. I, yeah, I really yeah. did. And I think you did too. And I checked in on the poll after the first 10 minutes when it had like 600 responses or something. And, I, and, and the main event was just blowing everything else away. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is this match is something special. And then when you start seeing how many people, when the early reviews start coming out and, Everybody throwing five stars at it. And then, of course, the Observer comes out and Dave gives it six stars and it's not a typo. And it's like what we have here is a seminal match. I mean, we have one of the seminal matches of this era is what it turned out to be where you had three other matches of such great quality. And like I said, Rich, I've seen the Never match get five stars from people. I've seen the Intercontinental match get five stars from people, not across the board like the main event. But you're talking about a show with three other matches of that high caliber, and it's still blue. What was the final percentage? It blew. 83%. So here, here were the final results. Uh, Omega Okada had 83. Tanashi Naito had 11. Shibata Goto had three. And then Kushida Takahashi had three as well. Yeah. So, I was stunned. Yeah, I, mean, I was stunned just, that it was that big. But. It blew everybody. It blew the other matches away. This is just a special, special. And it's and again, it, it's not like it didn't lack for competition. And... You know, on first watch, um, here's here's the weird thing. I watched it again uh, the next, well, later that day when I was writing my review. And this is very rare for me. I don't even rewatch a lot of matches, period. You know I'm not a big rewatch guy. I'm all about the moment. 
I, I like how a match makes me feel in the moment. But I rewatched it because I was I was really fading fast the night of the show, and I did fall asleep early in the match, so I felt like I owed it a rewatch. And I and I didn't even know how much of it I missed. I could have missed three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. All I know is I dozed off. Um, you know, so I rewatched it, and it actually improved on the rewatch. You know, I did the exact same thing right before we recorded here, maybe two hours before we recorded, and I was stunned as well. Because usually it's not that way. Usually when I rewatch a match, especially a day after or so, I, it, it rarely, if ever, is the same as it was the first time I watched it, especially when I watched it live and unspoiled or whatever. I agree. This one, I, I, it did improve. I'll let you kind of give your thoughts of why you thought it improved, and I'll give mine because they might be different. I don't know, but, but go ahead. I'm sorry, I was muted. Uh, yeah. yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I don't know what it was. All I know is is watching it live, and maybe it was because I dozed off briefly. Um, I kind of had the same feeling that a lot of people had. I was like, wow, you know, it, it really there wasn't much happening in the first third of the match, and uh, I was kind of waiting for them to kick it into high gear. And I was already formulating my thoughts for the review, and I was I was ready to talk about how much I liked the other three matches better. But then, of course, they had that amazing closing stretch, which was just out of this world. I mean, I, I, it's, it's just like nothing I've ever seen. Um, but, but then on rewatch, when I saw the match start to finish in, in one shot without, you know, dozing off or whatever, um, you know, it was a 47-minute match. And you know how I feel about long matches. And, I, you know, it's like I was sitting there thinking about it. And I was like, yeah, you could have shaved a few minutes off here. Or maybe you could have shaved five minutes or ten minutes off there. But then I said to myself, but why? The end result was one of the greatest matches ever. Why am I think why am I tinkering with this thing? Like what's the point? If the end result was that this was one of the greatest matches ever, why not leave it the fuck alone? Why am I trying to figure out where slicing 5 or 8 or 10 or 15 minutes off would have made I mean how can how much better do you want to make the fucking thing? And the other thing that that came across my mind as I'm watching it, because you already when you rewatch a match, you already know where it's going, right? So you kind of can think about it in different ways. And I'm watching this match develop, and I'm thinking to myself, the pace that they worked early, and then the pace that they worked in the middle, is what made the pace at the end so great. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because there was that dichotomy, and there was basically three sections to the match. There was, you know, the the slow start, and then there was the middle where they did all of these crazy bumps, you know, Kenny did the, the, listen, that table bump where he took the back body drop over the ropes and went through the table. Rich, that had zero margin for error. Yeah, he's lucky to be alive. He could have died. Yeah. He could have busted, you know, he could have broke his back. He could have busted open his, you know, I mean, he could have missed the table. He could have... Yeah, I had visions of Rick Rude dancing in my mind, especially with that elevated ring and, and yes. that big step there. I mean, yeah, that, that or in the guardrails, right? There. I mean, he had, he had like a, a foot to land and he landed exactly in that foot. It, I mean, it's incredible. He landed in the perfect, I mean, how the fuck did they do that so perfectly? I mean, it almost would have been better for him to miss the table completely than to barely catch the table. You know what I mean by that? Like, it would have been better to take the Trent bump than to like nick the table. You, right. You had two yeah. options there. Especially those Japanese tables, which aren't, uh, aren't the most yeah. <laughs> kind. I mean, it was either hit it perfectly, which he did, or land on the or miss the table. I mean, anything else would have been a disaster for this man. I mean, just the guts to do that. But Rich, this is what we talked about last week. We knew that this man, who's the most driven man in wrestling, in my opinion, we knew that he was going to make sure that this match was jam-packed with shit like this. But what I thought was so brilliant about this match is that it was spread out over 47 minutes, and they didn't just cram it all into 25 minutes. 
And I think that would have made the match worse, honestly. I think that first section, that second section with the wild bumps and all of the table teases, which I thought were smart. And then they hit that third part of the match, Rich. And, you know, I thought the match was over at like four different points. And every time it didn't end when I thought it was going to end, it got better. None of it was excessive. None of it felt excessive. At no point did it feel like they were doing too much or kicking out too much or any of those things. It kept building and improving as they moved along, which is which is the first time I thought the match was over was when Okada escaped the first one winged angel attempt with that wacky Toriumon flip escape. And then he hit the uh, pile driver and hit the rainmaker. I thought the match was over. I bought that as the finish. Yeah, I, I thought I thought that I thought the exact same thing live too. I thought that maybe he would kick out of the first rainmaker, then Okada would just lift him up and hit another one, and, and then that was it. You know, like yeah, you had a good little run here, but I got you. Yeah, and I then, didn't even think that. I just but guess what? There was fifteen more minutes. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Like or like ten more minutes. Yeah. I thought that rainmaker was it because the only man who kicks out of that is Tanahashi, and Omega just kicked out clean of the rain. He just kicked out of it, and that shocked me. And then there were other points in the match. One of Kenny's running knees. I don't remember which one because there were so many. One of Kenny's running knees, I thought it was over. Um, and I was thinking to myself in that moment, okay, he's going to win with the running knee. And they're going to keep the one-winged angel in their back pocket. Then when it hit the 40-minute mark, I, I even tweeted this out. I said, holy shit, they're going to a draw. And if they go to a draw, this is the greatest 60-minute draw of all time. Because I don't like any 60-minute draws, and this match was great. I was like, if they go to a 60-minute draw at the pace that they're working, I mean, this is the greatest draw of all time. And, 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 and they didn't do the draw either. I mean, there were like four or five points where I thought the match was over and it kept going and it kept getting better. And that's really a credit to both guys. And as brilliant as Omega was, and I wrote this in the review, I think you can make a, a solid argument. And you know what? I don't even want to be diplomatic. I, I, I personally think that this was the greatest one-man wrestling performance of all time. I don't think you will find a wrestling performance by a, by, you know, by a person better than what we saw in this match by Kenny Omega. His performance, Rich, was flawless. This man had no flaws in this match. From the execution of his offense, to his bumping, to his big bumping, to the wild spots, to his facial expressions, to his selling, to his selling of exhaustion at the end, to the way he was carried out of the ring by the Young Bucks after the match was over, and it just looked like he was a man who left every fiber of his being in that ring. Everything this man did was perfect. The bump through the table. Uh, just just everything. The execution on the complicated reversals. We said it last week that this man was going to set out to have the performance of his life. He was going to set out to have the greatest match in the history of wrestling. We said that anything less than something amazing was going to be a disappointment. And we said it had a chance to be the greatest match of all time. And Rich, all of it happened. I mean, they pretty much did it. And I don't want to take a thing away from Okada. I don't think he's getting nearly enough uh, attention here. He's not- no, he's not. And it's because Omega was so, so – you couldn't take your eyes off Omega that entire match. And I think it's making people ignore what a good performance Okada had. And, and, and when I went back and rewatched it, that was one of the things that stood out. I said, okay, let me, let me, let me focus on what Okada is doing in this match. I saw Omega. It was, it was impossible to not see what Omega could do 
uh, when you're watching it that first time. Let me see how Okada does in this match. He's, I mean, he's not, I don't, I wouldn't say he's just as good because Omega was on, you know, just another stratosphere in this match, but Okada was really fucking good during this entire match as well. And, and I thought he's been either unfairly nitpicked for what he did in this performance or just ignored in general, which, which again, I get why he got ignored, but that's why I think a rewatch is really important about this match and, 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 and rewatching it and focusing on what Okada could do. And, and before you get to your point, again, I wanted to say one of the things that helped me in the rewatch is knowing when the finish was going to come and knowing that because I think when I was initially watching it, I was saying, okay, what's the finish? Where's the finish going to come? How's this match going to end? That was my focus is okay. Oh, is that the near fall? Okay. That's not okay. What about that? And sometimes that's good. Sometimes matches are good that way. And sometimes they're better when they're they're, they're You know what the finish is and you can kind of dig into a little bit more of the intricacies, dig into a little bit more of what these guys did, dig into a little bit more of how this move helped lead to this, helped lead to the, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that really benefited. And this, I, I knew, I said, okay, I'm not going to worry about when the near falls are because I know these are just near falls, but still that makes the match even that much better. I thought, and I thought the, the, the beginning period, which I was with you as well, when the when it was over, I said, yeah, yeah, the first 15 minutes were kind of boring. They probably could have, you know, either just sped it up or just take that out or whatever. But to me, after rewatching, I said, no, this was perfect because you needed that sort of pace of, of like, okay, let's have a little match here. Let's see who the better person is, all this sort of stuff to get to the manic pace that you got to later, which was really that second period where it got nuts, where they were just putting people through tables and doing insane stuff like that and jumping all over the ring and, 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 and taking these like horrific dives and, and, and the big dragon suplexes or whatever. And then when you realize, wait, that's not even the finish either. There's going to be a whole nother period after that, where these guys are going to really just try to throw everything they can at one another to see who's going to finally fall. Knowing that and knowing that, that there was those different points in the match made me enjoy it that much better because I wasn't focused on when is the finish going to come, how is it going to come, who's going to get the win. I knew, okay, Omega uh, Okada's going to get the win. Cool. Now let me focus a little bit more on the work and a little bit more on 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 the the, the little things in this match. And this match was filled with little things. And Omega is the best in the bit. I think Okada is just as good and and, and maybe his equal, but Omega is one of the best little things wrestlers. Maybe ever. I mean, he another level of if you're invested in the Kenny Omega story from whatever 2009 to 2008, whatever DDT. If you go far, as far back as DDT, there's stuff for you there. If you go as far back as just his New Japan run, there's stuff for you there too. It's those little nuggets that he throws his, into his matches, and especially through into this match and, and his G1 finals too. There's not a more rewarding wrestler in the world than Kenny Omega. He makes every match that he's that he's in you feel like you your investment was worth it that you following him in DDT and watching all these stupid little tapes of of him fucking around with Kota Ibushi and 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 and, and El Generico or whatever him you know his all Japan run or whatever it may, all those little stuff all those little hints all those little things right there he rewards you with those knowing that he beat Nakamura knowing that he threw AJ Styles out of the bullet club all this little stuff everything that he says in the ring he's so good at the little things it's incredible if you're if you're invested in him and invested in his story and his story in the company or his story in general there's so much for you to unpack with any Kenny Omega match and this one was was probably the best you're ever going to see a good example was the springboard moonsault over the railing which was done five hours earlier by Kota Ibushi in the, in the opener of the show. And it was not an accident, a mistake, or coincidental that Kenny Omega not only copied Ibushi's spot, but did it better by going over the railing into the crowd instead of just to the floor. And that's exactly what you're talking about. He does those little nods and those little winks. The thing about Kenny Omega, Rich, I don't know if I'm comfortable calling him the best wrestler in the world, but I know that he's the most interesting wrestler in the world. I know that for a fact. There's no wrestler in the world that's more interesting than Kenny Omega. 
the thing about him is not everything he does lands. And, you know, I wrote at length uh, when I when I when I did my review for the G1 final, which I linked in the Wrestle Kingdom review so people can get to it easily if they want to read it. I wrote a long diatribe about Kenny Omega and how great he was that night in, in that tournament. And I really broke him down. And it's one of the things I wrote that I'm most proud of. But one of the things I wrote in there about Kenny Omega is everything. It's, it's the man is a genius. He's a wrestling genius. I have no qualms about saying that. He's a genius in terms of doing things in pro wrestling and putting together pro wrestling matches. But here's the thing. Not everything he does lands. A lot of the things he comes up with fall flat. But he's not afraid. And I think that's what makes him the most interesting wrestler in the world. Because he isn't afraid to think outside the box and do different things. And when Kenny Omega does land... It, 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 it's like no one's better. Nights like this, or or nights like the last two nights of the G1, it's impossible to be better than this man. It, you can't be better than he was against Okada. And and again, I, we're focusing. I'm focusing all on him again. Here's the thing about Okada, and I just wrote about him in the book. You know, you look at Okada's 2016. Everyone's talking about Chris Hero and Matt Riddle and AJ Styles, and deservedly so. Those guys were tremendous, and they deserve all the accolades that they're getting for 2016. And the one guy that's overlooked and who I feel is constantly overlooked is Kazuchika Okada. And I ran down his list of great matches from 2016 in the book, and I'll put that resume up against anyone. And here he is again. He's becoming Mr. Uh, he's becoming Mr. 1-4. How many times is he going to go into this dome and have a main event match that blows everybody's doors off and, and, and is an instant match of the year contender four days into the year? And this time you can't hang it on Tanahashi because Tanahashi wasn't involved. This, guy, this Okada is great. And you know, yeah, this goes back too. This is this is years. I mean, that, that one with Naito, of course, it was a semi main, of years? course, because of but many reasons. But yeah, that was a fantastic match. No, well. I mean, he really hasn't. I'm trying to remember, other than his debut, he's pretty much delivered on every other, his re debut, rather. He's pretty much killed it on every to an Kingdom, incredible so. degree. I mean, and and this is look again, I'm not prepared. I'm look, I'm not ready to call this the greatest match of all time. I don't know if it was, and it probably wasn't. It's but. It is one of the great. That's got to age. I really think that has to age because I think a lot of times we, we we immediately do that or we say even like you're talking about this being a show of the best show of all time or whatever. I think that'll become clear in a few months or whatever or even a few years or whatever. I it, it, at one point it will become clear to you whoever you are whether this is the best match of all time whether this is the best show of all time. The day after the hour after is probably not the right time to declare it the best match of all time or the best show of all yeah, time. And I think it will become clear later. We're yeah. all sometimes guilty of doing that too quickly. Sure, but I mean I. Do know that this, like I said earlier about the show, I think it's certainly one of the greatest shows of all time. And I do think I'm comfortable saying this is one of the greatest matches of all time. I'll say this. We knew Kenny Omega was going to sit out to do this, and he had a perfect opponent to do it with because, he, you know, Okada is one of the best two or three big match wrestlers in the world. Well, probably one of the five best wrestlers in the world, period. The guy just doesn't get enough credit. Um, but, but uh, you know, if it wasn't the greatest match of all time, I can tell you this. Where Kenny Omega may have succeeded – Rich, I think this was the best possible example of a modern New Japan style match. I do think they achieved that. Um, now, if this style isn't for you, if this isn't your preferred style of match, you're not going to think this is the greatest match of all time. But I will say this. There's a lot. There's not too many people. I think I've seen one review, and it's one that you texted to me right before the show. I think I've seen one review that didn't like the match. 
even people who don't typically like the style or don't typically like Kenny Omega or don't typically like Kazuchika Okada, everyone pretty much at minimum enjoyed the match and thought it was a good match. A lot of people who don't typically like the style thought it was a very good match. and A lot of them thought it was a great match. If you're invested in the style and you're invested in the wrestlers, you thought it was an off-the-charts incredible match and potentially the greatest match of all time. And I don't think that's unfair. It really was an amazing spectacle. And that's the word that just keeps popping up in my mind is spectacle. I mean, there was just – and Omega, like I said, I don't know. Find me a better singular performance in a pro wrestling match than Kenny Omega in this match at the pace that they worked. And, Rich, the escalation in this match was just brilliantly laid out. I mean, we, we sort of alluded to it that the match had the three distinct parts, but it just had such great escalation to the point where as a viewer, when they're hitting those final few minutes, I mean, I don't know about you, Rich, but I couldn't sit down. You know, I, I had to stand up and watch the last, it, it just, and I'm just, I'm just, there's noises coming out of me and my dogs are running away. And it's just, it, this is great stuff. I mean, this was just pro wrestling at its absolute best. Um, you know, I, I gave it five stars. I didn't give the other match. You know, I gave, you know, the, the semi-main and the never four and three quarters. I gave the junior match four and a half. Those were great matches. All three of them have a good chance at popping up in my top 10, you know, potentially. Um, but, but I mean, yeah, this, this match is going to be very hard to top. And I do think it deserves to be in the conversation among the greatest matches of all time. Now let's talk a little bit about the results, which was Okada defeating Kenny Omega. Okada, you, you know, obviously retaining his title in your mind, and I know we talked about this last week when we previewed the show, you and I both thought it was the right time for Kenny Omega to win, that it would have been a good idea to have him win. We just think that's when you create a megastar, blah, 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 blah. You listen to last week's show if you kind of want to get the idea of that. When this was over, however, and then I'll kind of get your thoughts on it, I, I tweeted this out and I said, you know, even though Omega lost this match, he it was one of those instances where he is... I won't say better off, but he is just fine losing this match because he was such a, a, a outstanding performer and he was so protected in a lot of ways. He never hit the one-winged angel. You know what I mean? He he never hit his finishing move on Okada. He got him up a lot of times. He got him up many times, but Okada would always slip out, always find a way to slip out. Kenny never hit him with that move and then had Okada kick out. Okada hit his finisher and Kenny kicked out of it many times. <laughs> That's an important distinction there. Omega may have lost this match, but I thought he lost nothing in terms of importance, nothing in terms of a star making, uh, nothing in terms of that stuff. Yes, I would have had him win this, and I think it would have been better to have him win it. But when it was done and I said, okay, that's how you laid it out. That's how you're going to have him lose. You are perfectly okay with me because they did everything in the world to say that this man is still a supremely important part of this company and a supremely important part of, of what we're going to do in the future and a supremely important part of our global expansion and all this sort of stuff, which is another really important thing I'll get to here in a little bit as well. But I thought this was the as good as you, I could have had Kenny Omega lose this match. Do you agree or disagree? My fear coming in was that if he lost, he would lose some momentum and he would lose a little bit of something uh, in terms of, of his perception and his star power. And what happened with the way that this match went down, as great as the match was, not only just that, you know, it was important that they had a great match, and they did, um, but it was also important if he was going to lose how he lost. And the way he lost with, like you said, Never hitting the one-winged angel, which they're leaving that in their back pocket. You know, that's that's going to be a part of the larger story here. We don't know if Okada can survive that move. We know that Kenny can survive the Rainmaker. He kicked out of one, and he got hit with several others. And I, I don't remember if he kicked out of the others or just Okada was too exhausted to pin. I don't remember. He may have kicked out of one of the other. But I think Okada hit four or five total. 
including the one that finally won the match. And and by the way, the bump that Kenny Omega took on the final Rainmaker, go back and watch that. I mean, every bit as good as the Tomatonga bumps that he takes off the Rainmakers, but this was at the end of a 47 match. <laughs> right. 47 in which he died twice. Yes, so all-time was, great yeah, match. Right. I mean, the bump that he took was just in you know on the on the final Rainmaker was insane. And um and I and look, and and I don't know how many times Kazuchika Okada is there anyone better at the closing stretch of a big match than Okada? I mean, how many times does he have to have these great closing stretches? It's just amazing how people don't give this guy credit. He's just for all the for all of the accolades that he gets, and he gets tons of accolades. Somehow, Rich, he's still underrated because there's still this segment of fan that, for whatever reason, doesn't see what everybody else sees, and he 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 gets so much like this bullshit criticism. The guy's great. I mean, it's just, it'll be one of the, it, it'll absolutely be one of these John Cena things where now we're, we're getting that way with John Cena and WWE. We're now pretty much universally. Everybody kind of appreciates what he does. That might be what it takes with Okada because in the moment people are, yeah, it gets over push. I mean like that. I think that's just the common wrestling fan thing these days is when the guy that's the focal point of the company or whatever, ah, he sucks. Ah, he's garbage. I, I feel like at some point they're going to come around. I don't know if they ever do, but I think, and I talked about this weeks before. I mean, there's going to be a point where this guy's 36 years old and, and starting to maybe wind down a little bit because he's, he's been just doing so much for so long or whatever you know he's 40 turns 40 and people are gonna go back and look and go oh my god <laughs> like why why wouldn't i let myself enjoy him in this moment because this is the, you're you're watching the peak of an all-time great right now i mean this guy's under 30 <laughs> like that's insane it's, like so- you shouldn't be this good at this point we talk about it all the time you should be 35 when you get great you should be like aj styles right now you know it, getting you know 35 36 37 when you're when your brain you know and your body meet this like perfect intersection no okada's brain is already that good and he's 28 years old like he no right that he's he only be this gonna good. get better which is scary and, and like look at the look at the new japan roster i mean go through the book we have the ages there the amount of guys that are like his peers or like similar ages to him and where they're at in their career trajectory and where he's been ben i mean he retired tomorrow he'd be an all-time great yeah I, if absolutely. tomorrow he said you know what this match i this match I, my neck hurts from the dragon suplex off the top i'm done fuck this i'm out i'm getting a girlfriend <laughs> you know screw you kadani i'm getting a girlfriend you know what i mean like if he did that right now we'd be talking about him his, as an his resume great. is that deep Right, and he's got, what, 15 years maybe? I mean, you know, if all things go well, he, I mean. He could, yeah. Well, I don't know. 15's pushing it because he'd be like 45. But I mean, eh, yeah. I mean that's, it, that's, <laughs> that's possible. But I mean, realistically, let's give him 10. Yeah, I mean, 10, 10 he can good go, he years. Can, I mean, he might hang around for five doing the knocking knees. You know what I mean? He like, could have 10 elite years in front of him because he'll be 39. Look, look, look how good Tanahashi still is at 40. Look how good Tanahashi was last year in his age 39 year. Look how good John Cena is at 39. Okada has 10 elite years in front of him. People are going to look real silly. You're right, Rich. I think you nailed it. This is a John Cena situation for a lot of Right. Well, you're getting that way with LeBron, too, in the NBA, which is kind of fun, too. I'm watching all my friends kind of come around and go, oh, this guy's really good. And I was like, I'm telling you, man, I've been watching all of his games and, and really enjoying the, the LeBron James experience of watching an all-time great in front of you. And now, you know, you want to jump in when he's 31, 32 or whatever and go, oh, yeah, I guess you know, he's pretty good. You know, it's like, all right, well, you just you missed 10 years and he's been great for 10 years. Like, like you were too busy going, oh, he's not Michael Jordan. Okay, well, you're, you're missing out on greatness. And I don't want to miss out on greatness. I want to say, I was there when I, I witnessed greatness because I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, 30 years old right now. I didn't get to see Ric Flair in his prime. I didn't get to see even a Hulk Hogan or whatever in his prime in terms of wrestling. I didn't get to see those guys in their prime. This guy, I'm not going to lose the chance to see this guy in his prime. I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to enjoy it because I, I haven't gotten to see it. Maybe, you know, there's a few here and there, but I haven't really gotten to see the entire career path of an all-time great. And I'm getting that right now with Okada. And that's that's a, a, a treasure. I mean, that that's a lucky thing. And he's in Japan and I can watch it whenever the hell I want because it's 2017 and we can do whatever the fuck. I mean, like, 
there's no borders anymore, which is incredible. Yeah, because this wouldn't happen. He, this, I mean, he's almost on a a, a higher trajectory or a, a steeper trajectory than Tanahashi was, because you know Tanahashi, even though he was low key great through the last part of the previous decade, Tanahashi didn't really take off until about 2010, 2011. Okada took off from day one that he came back to the company. So he has a chance to be even better than Tanahashi. Ten more years of this. I mean, that's scary. But hey, he's not a real shooter. And that matters to some people for some sh- <laughs> for some ridiculous reason that matters to people. But yeah, I mean, I know a big topic of conversation with the six-star match and all that is is everyone's opinion needs to be respected and all that. But, I, you know, I'm not afraid to say, I mean, if you don't think that this Okada is a great wrestler, I have no idea what you're watching. I, I, I understand that everyone has their own tastes and, and everyone likes what they like. And, and you, But it's like at some point, if you cannot recognize that this guy is great, I question your ability to process pro wrestling. I, I, I know that's a harsh statement, but, I mean, what more does he have to do? I mean, these matches are always tremendous. As a great pro wrestler, it's just a shame that people either can't get past it for some weird personal hangups or whatever the case may be. But the guy really is great. But to get back to your uh, the question here about Omega losing, you know, my fear was that the loss would derail him. But really, I mean, he came out of this match stronger than he came into it because of how great the match was. Number one, the fact that they left some things in their back pocket with the one winged angel. Number two. And uh, he looks so great in defeat, surviving all of those rainmakers and, and, and everything else that really, as he was being carried out of the ring and leaving the ring, I, I was just thinking to myself, you know what? He's actually coming out of this stronger than he came in, even though he lost the match. It's one of those losses. It's one of those things where you win in losing. And sometimes it happens in wrestling yeah. where you're elevated in defeat. And he definitely was elevated here in defeat. And I'll tell you another thing. The show drew about, I don't know, 2,000 fans more than it did last year, whatever the case was. The show was, a, a, you know, a mild success at the gate. I mean, they didn't, you know, I thought if they drew 30,000 people, that'd be an enormous success. But topping last year's number when they lost AJ Styles, Nakamura, and Kota Ibushi, I mean, that's just, who would have predicted that they would have topped last year's number last January 5th? Okay, you wouldn't have found many people that said that, that they'd be able to top the number. They did. So what we, what we have here after this performance, after what the show drew, Rich, it's amazing. It took them one calendar year, and this company is right back where they were and possibly in a stronger position than where they were one year ago without those three guys, which everyone thought would devastate them, okay? And I'm not counting Ibushi working as a cartoon as being back. That doesn't count, okay? He's working prelims as a cartoon character. Without those three guys... Okay, because now they've got the new core four. They've got Tanahashi, they've got Naito, they've got Okada, and now they have Omega. And the company is actually in a stronger position than they were 365 days previously. And who in the fucking world could have predicted that? Okay, if you're going to bash the booking of this company, you need to go get lost. Because I have no idea where you're coming from anymore with that. If you're going to bash the booking this after what was accomplished this year, and where they stand, and how they're right back where they were despite those losses, it, it really is amazing. And I do think the way that Kenny came out of this match puts him into that echelon now. 
and one, one aspect that I wanted to talk about that we'll move on to talk about some of the other matches as well. One thing that I mentioned, the globalization of, of New Japan for wrestling. They made it very well known that this year is a big year for them global. I mean, they, they've been kind of building little by little over the past few years. 2017, they said, is, is, is going to be a whole new stratosphere. Of course, we had the announcement that uh, there's going to be G1 qualifiers uh, in Los Angeles on July 1st and 2nd. So you're seeing some places that say G1 special, and, and we were able to confirm that that means G1 qualifiers. So there's not going to be G1 climax matches. Did you, did you hear qualifiers? Because I I just heard that they were just not going to be G1 shows. I don't know that they're qualifiers, unless you heard um, something different. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll, I'll get the exact wording that that I have. But uh, yeah, I'll have to find out exactly what that. I was. don't want to tell uh, because listen, people are right, right, right. Let's, if you say qualifiers. Yeah, let, let, let me find the exact word. Yeah, because uh, I've seen special. I've seen qualifiers. Let me G, let me G1, see what the exact they, word. New Japan's calling them G1 specials on seven one and seven two. G1 previews. There you go, previews. G1 preview. That is the exact word that we got from someone. So G1 previews. What that means, I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. You know. So there you go. Sorry, sorry. To uh, G1 previews is what we're calling it. But either way, so you have that. You have that, you know, coming in July 1st and 2nd. One thing that I thought was was super important, though, about this this show was, of course, you have the Kelly Kelly Carino thing. They've been doing it for, you know, a few years now. They've been doing kind of the English commentary for the big shows. Uh, they announced that they're going to be back a bunch of times, or Kevin Kelly rather announced that he's going to be back a bunch of times. Uh, at one point during the show, Kevin Kelly and, and, and Carino said that, you know, they got a word from somebody in uh, New Japan World that they've had their most, you know, non-Japanese people watching at this fir- at, at one time that they've ever had. And, and they also alluded to, you know, somebody else saying that there was the most, you know, foreign fans at the show than they've ever had before. And they kind of kind of noticed from from different things that you had that. And then one of the things I thought was super important about the, the main event is Omega's cutting his promo, and there are English subtitles on Omega's promo. They're making it very well known that this man is this man speaks English and he speaks Japanese. You know, here's here's the English subtitles. I just thought this entire show, when, when you really took it down from, from all that we know about what they're doing and what they want to do globally to them pushing this Kenny Omega thing. I mean, this he is the perfect star. They they need and they want to be the face of a growing global company. You know what I mean? Like there, there's this idea. And, and again, for better, or for worse, that if you show an Okada and a Tanahashi or whatever, there's a limit there of, okay, well, I can't really relate to these guys or Japanese. You see a Kenny Omega. And even though he speaks fluent Japanese and, and he does like the idea that you see this guy and you can advertise him. Cause if you look at a lot of the advertising they've done for this show, every advertising that was geared towards, you, you know, a non-Japanese audience, Kenny Omega was front and center of here is our guy. Here's and, and, and more so than even in AJ styles, it seems they're hitting that with Kenny Omega and going, this is a guy who, who's accessible to anybody in the world. Anybody in the world can like something about Kenny Omega. Anybody in the world can relate to Kenny Omega. Any in the, anybody in the world can understand what Kenny Omega is saying, because you know, or any English speaker can understand what he's saying. And he is one of one of you in a sense, more so than even in AJ, more so than any other gaijin that I've seen in New Japan history. Kenny Omega is the most accessible of any of those that I've ever seen, and, and they're and they know it, and they're advertising him as such, and they're using him as such. The Terminator nods, the, you know, all that sort of stuff is all carefully crafted. For them to say this is the guy, this is the this is a, a you know he's not American, but this is a a, a non Japanese wrestler that we are going to build our company around. And if you want to get in, we are going to make it as easy as possible for you to get in. No, you're right, and, and look, and you're going to watch this it. This is why I say he's they got they got their four guys now. You know they had yep. their five guys. These are these are four bona fide guys now, and um you know that that's this it, it, it's this is the you know it's a very similar situation to what they had before the other three guys left. So, um, you know, and, and as far as Abushi goes, they might get him back. I mean, who the hell knows? You know, that guy's so hard to figure out. The fact of the matter is his foot's in the door, so that's good. Omega keeps hinting around at shit, and so does Abushi for that matter in media interviews. So you feel like they have something cooking, so we'll see what they do there. But, uh, but you're absolutely right, you know, and they're going to have those two shows. 
in America. They're now confirmed. Uh, the shows that I hinted at here months ago, and then you know we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Um, and, and and look, Rich, if it were me, there are two matches that without and I teased this on Twitter, so people are waiting for me or expecting me to to, to say it. But uh, and I want to get your take as well. Uh, to me, on these two shows, there are two matches that I think this company would be insane not to book if you're trying to put your best foot forward and make sure that these shows draw in are a success. I think you have to do Okada and Omega and Omega again. And I know people are screaming at the radios saying you can't burn that match in America. I say, why not? I mean, look, if you want to draw a house, you got to put that your best foot forward. And I, th- I would do Okada and Omega in the United States in L.A. And the other match I would do on that show is Ricochet Osprey. I think you have to do those two. If you do those two matches and you don't draw, it's not meant to be. Because those are the two best matches that you can do for an American audience, in my opinion. I mean, what do you think? Would you I, – I know, I know what you're going to – Ricochet Osprey I think you'll be on board with because that's just a junior match or whatever. How, what do you think about doing Okada Omega in America? I, I, I agree. I would do that because – and the exact reason you brought up is, is if you want to really find out, okay, what is our, what is our foot you – know, what, what can we do in America? Are we that popular in America? Are we going to get draw in America? Can we consistently run in America on our own or whatever? That's the match to find out. Because if people don't come and watch that match, they're not going to come and watch anything in your company. That is absolutely, and it's exactly the reason I brought up that point, that is exactly the match and that is exactly the guy in a Kenny Omega that you have to do if you really want to prove and you really want to show that you're, you're a global company now and you're trying to tap in to North America and you're trying to say, hey, North America, you got an opening at number two. There's no one really there. You know, We, we can be that opening if you guys want. We're there for you. You know, we, we got English speaking, you know, our, our website's in English. We got English speaking commentary. One of our top stars is, is, is speaks English and he's a, he's a white dude or, you know what I mean? Like there's all that stuff there where, where you can really do it. It's, it's, it, it, the opening is there for the number two promotion in, in, in America. I mean, you can say it's ring of honor, but it's ring of honor so far behind WWE that, that if new Japan really wants to get serious about it, they can slide in there. And I think they, they are serious about doing that. And if you read Kadani's quotes, I mean, I think that that's kind of one of the dreams that they have is to be that number two and, and, and to give WWE a run for their money. I don't know, you know, <laughs> what the possibilities of that are, but to be a number two is absolutely something possible. So if you want to do that and you want to have a foothold in America and you want to prove that we are here, you got to, you, you can't have Okada versus Ishii. You know what I mean? Like it's got to be, it's got to be Okada and Omega. Omega's got to be a central part of they're that. Never, they, I listen, absolutely hundred percent agree. They're, they're yeah. not going to do that. No, they're that, no. God that's no. what I would do though. You got to have some guts and you have to do it. And to me, it's not burning the match. It's using it to an enormous, you're trying to establish yourself in a new market. How's that? That's not burning the match. Because mm-hmm. if that thing sells out, I mean, if that thing is as crazy as you know it is, and it draws a ton, then that's going to be a defining moment. And and you won't have said, you know, if, it, if it's a success, you won't say, oh, geez, well, that was what a waste that was. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if it, if it's a, a failure, maybe you'll look at it back and go, ah, oh, geez, we well, shouldn't have wasted that. But you gotta you gotta swing for the fences. You gotta here. swing for the fences. And I mean, you're going to America. <laughs> you're, you're if you want to make if you want to make a splash in America, and you don't want to be like on you know, these New Japan Pro joint shows with Ring of Honor, you want to be New Japan Pro Wrestling in America. Here's our show here's our best yeah that that's that that's the match i mean that is it right look i said they should have done g1s here i i wouldn't have been afraid to do it i think you can't be afraid i think you have to show some guts they kind of sort of are doing they're throwing the g1 name on these things but they're not really g1 shows i mean show some guts and just do it all the way you know i I thought they were nuts for not doing ricochet spray on this show you know Uh, i will talk about that a little bit later uh when we get to that match but uh look that's the hot the hottest match on the planet is ricochet versus willow spray 
So I would put that on the show too. That'd be my semi-main event. That, I would go Okada Omega with Ricochet Osprey underneath on at least on one of those shows. I mean, I think that's that's your best possible foot forward. Right, you want to talk about some of the other matches here? No, we've spent an hour on that, but the, the, the main event deserved absolutely an hour. Uh, let's talk about Naito Tanahashi here, the uh, semi-main for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, Naito defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi. So we had some, you know, some people had worries that Tanahashi would win here. We, I think, both kind of thought that Tanahashi could win, and, and that would be a pretty decent idea to kind of build up the, you know, a, a future match between these two or to build up Tanahashi or to kind of reconvene Tanahashi. But I thought what was an interesting part about this match, and then I'll kind of let you give your thoughts, but um, the opening. So, of course, Hiroshi Tanahashi debuts his new music, and it's it's really terrible. It's it's horrendously awful, and high energy is so much better. Uh, and that's really just unarguable. I think everybody agrees that this new music sucks. But I Go thought one Ace. of the things that was yeah, it's Go really bad. Ace. It's really bad. But Go but Ace. it's kind of endearing in the sense that you have to have that. There's a new. Hiroshi Tanahashi reality and I think everybody kind of chimed as we were building up and last week I think I got it a little bit when I read those quotes that he said about Naito and him wanting to be in the main event and him knowing that 2016 wasn't any good but wants 2017 to be great and and why can't I be in the main event or if I if I if I challenge Naito maybe they'll maybe they'll change the main event and they'll put me in there because I'm Hiroshi Tanahashi and of course I should be in the main event and all this sort of stuff combined with this new music combined with the way he acted during this match which was you know we, we've gotten those subtle heel Tanahashi many times we got it in DDT you know we got it uh you know, in a few matches here and there, he would kind of slap a guy or keep a hold on for a little bit, and the crowd would boo, and he'd kind of look like, oh, well, you know what, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to go that far, but, I, uh, you know, I got to do it for this. This one, it was like within minutes, he was already playing that heel Tanahashi. And I think what's really cool about the new Tanahashi reality and why I kind of like the new music, even though it's really bad musically, is that he's a different character now. He is your, your, your old legend that doesn't want to give up his spot. You're his old legend. I think you met in the you wrote in review. He's like the old dude at your apartment complex that bought a new Corvette and has a girlfriend that he met at a bar that's like ten years younger than him. You know what I mean? And you all know it's like, ah, oh, dude, like you're really old, man. Just chill. Like, just you know, why don't you get married and get some kids or what? And, and like he, no, 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 man. I'm still you know, Over. I still go out there and I date. I don't want to put a ring on. You know, I don't want to be committed. He's he's that guy now. Overcompensation. Is what you're doing. Right, and and that's why the new music. Hey, I need a new music. I got to change myself. And you know, he's got a new hair. You know what I mean? Like he went as, so far as that. You know, he dye his hair. You know what I mean? Like he would just go. You know, you knew he was gray, but then he's just dyeing his hair. And it's like, all right, man. Like you're 45. It's okay. You can just be gray or whatever. Like he's got the new Corvette. He's got the. You know, he's he bought a bunch of new stuff. He's got a brand new TV. You know, he's wearing new clothes or whatever. That's what Tanahashi is now. He wants to prove. No, no, no. I'm still the man. I'm still the ace. That all this ace stuff. Go Ace. I'm still the Ace. He stole autographs with Ace and all this sort of stuff. His t-shirt says Ace. Right. And people bought into that. People were going, oh, my God, New Japan still thinks Tanahashi's the Ace. No, they don't. Tanahashi still thinks he's the Ace. Nobody else does. That's the, that's the thing here. Tanahashi thinks he's still the man. But no one has the heart to tell him, ah, buddy, you know, a lot of guys have passed you up. You're kind of older now. And that's a really cool story for me. I love that we're getting to that period of Tanahashi. And this match, I thought, was that, too, because Naito... You know, from the beginning, kind of was getting cheers or whatever, and you could tell it kind of pissed off Tanahashi. And he was a heel almost from the beginning of this match. And I, and I use the heel term loosely because I think we'll talk about that during this match too. The heel face dynamics. I mean, you may, get rid of those right now for New Japan. It's all shades of gray in New Japan. Whoever you want to like, you can like, and whoever you want to buy T-shirts for, you can buy T-shirts for because that's kind of how they align this. But Tanahashi is a guy that if you love Tanahashi, you'll still love him. And if you've always liked the character, you will. But if you're a guy who looks at him and goes, geez, this guy still thinks he's the ace. He thinks he should be in the main event. He still thinks he's hot shit, but he's not. And then he loses to Naito here. 
and he still thinks he's hot shit. He still thinks he's great. He's delusional. And it's not like a, a, a you know, in WWE, when you're a delusional heel, you're just a complete idiot and you do ter- you know, terrible, horrible things. Tanahashi's just like, well, no, you know, I'm Tanahashi. I've been great for so long. Why, why, why am I not in the main event? Or why am I not winning? Or why don't you call me the ace? Or, you know, oh, hey, I'll get new music. And then maybe you'll call me the ace again. And, and you know what? This music, it'll say go ace in it. So you can't help but call me go ace. You know, you can't help but call me an ace now. He's just delusional. And he won't let go of what he's had. And that's a cool story. I love that story. Yeah, and and I think the point of the career that he's in now is he can he's better than everybody on the roster except for like that top one percent. And it kills him, and he hates it. And he well, it's not even that; it's that he doesn't understand. Yeah, right. He, he like in his mind, he's still like before he even locked up with Naito. I knew he was losing. I changed my mind, and I knew he was losing because coming into the match, I thought he would win. And then they would do a Naito program and draw some money off of it. But as soon as I saw the way he was behaving before they locked up with sort of that, he was being goofy. I mean, I don't know if I agree with you that he was healing. I don't think he was being a heel. I think he was just being like this overconfident goofball who was like, I don't have to take this seriously. I'm Hiroshi Tanahashi. I'm going to win this match and win this title. You're, you're Tetsuya Naito. You got voted out of the main event for me two years ago or whatever. You know what I mean? I thought he was being a goofball, an overconfident goofball. And the way Naito was playing it was just, what the fuck is this guy's deal? You know what I mean? And then they have this match, and and, and we'll break down the match, but, you know, we'll skip to the end. Naito wins, and he gives him that little chest bump with his fist. Like, you got heart, kid. You know what I mean? It was like, (laughs) and and then he gives the bow, okay? Which I thought was all, this is why I call this match, the story, because this was so layered, because that little chest bump and bow, first of all, the little condescending chest bump totally fits Naito's character. But then the bow, that meant a lot. Don't ignore that. I think Chris Charlton nailed it. I think what you're going to see is they're going to go with a face turn eventually for Naito over the course of this year, and they're just going to go full on baby face with him. I really think that they are. And I think that that bat look, would Naito two months ago have beaten Tanahashi and then bowed to him? And how that would have played out, okay? This is a new wrinkle for Naito. He wasn't showing anybody respect. Not Tanahashi, not anyone. But he showed respect at the end of this match, which I think is, is some seed planting for him and sort of an evolution of his character. And I think it's going to continue to go down that road. Chris Charlton's theory is that next year's Wrestle Kingdom is babyface Naito against heel Okada. So what will have to happen over the course of the year is the shades of gray you're talking about, where Naito is sort of a darker shade of gray right now, right? Because he does sort of lean heel. He cheats in his sure. match. Yeah. There's oh, yeah, interference. Yeah. All these guys are different shades. And Okada is like a lighter shade of gray, where clearly he's presented as a babyface, but he is still part of chaos. And when they battle the New Japan Army, they do do underhanded things in their matches. They're not pure baby faces, okay? But I think what Chris thinks is going to happen is that that's going to switch. And Okada is going to go to a darker shade of gray, sort of like when he was when he first came back to the company. And uh, Naito will be that lighter shade of gray, and they'll switch the dynamic. It's an interesting theory. I'm still sticking with Shibata Okada at the Dome, but it wouldn't shock me if Chris is right. And I think that little bow at the end of the match, Naito finally showing some respect to somebody, were the first seeds for that. 
what, what I think you could do as well, and maybe you, I, I'm kind of working on a column right now that, that I'll have up hopefully in the next few days talking about, you know, the, the, the shades of gray throughout uh, New Japan. What I think you could maybe even do is if you don't want to make Okada dark, if you don't want to make him the darker shade of gray, that just making Naito that later, lighter shade of gray is enough to kind of get him to that middle point where then fans can, uh, to a fan, I mean, you can have uh, people in a, and, and, and they can decide which one they want. You know, do you like the company man Okada, the guy who, you know, because some people like that. Some people like the idea that he's this good looking dude that, you know, the company loves and they put money into it. And they mentioned that in quotes. They mentioned that, in the, you know, there was that uh, uh, the, the wrestling exhibition the night prior and they talk about, I mean, they, they were upfront with Okada's the guy. We put a lot of money into him. We advertise him and he's, you know, the good looking dude that we put on posters or whatever. Some people like that. Some people like the idea that, okay, this, this is the guy. Which he's is, the star. Which, by the way, not to cut you off, but that's by design to rally the Naito fans and make them even more angry. Right. I mean, it's all by exactly. Design. But that and that's and that's what I'm saying. So then you have those guys, the Okada fans, that are like, "All right, cool, that's fine with us. We really like the guy. We like that he's, you know, you got the female fans that I'm sure enjoy, you know, uh, Okada or whatever." And you got that. But then you have the harder edge fans. Then you have your, you know, your very similar to your 1997 Stone Cold Steve Austin fans that go, "You know, fuck the establishment. I'm sick of this. I like this guy because he doesn't stand. He's against the establishment. He's darker. He doesn't look like he showers. You know, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't have great looking suits or whatever. He had a great looking suit at Wrestle Kingdom though. But you know, it's not a it's not a nice tailored suit. It was kind of a, a, a weird looking suit, is what Naito had. Like this guy doesn't like the company. He doesn't want to be on the posters. He doesn't want to be this sort of happy go lucky guy that shakes everyone's hands and kisses babies or whatever. Naito can still bow and be less of a quote unquote cheater. He doesn't have to be a great guy. He doesn't have to become a good person all of a sudden. I think just him becoming a little bit lighter, as you're saying, is enough to get that middle ground where then people can can really decide, okay, do you like the company guy or do you like the anti-establishment guy? And, oh, by, and they don't and have oh, to be oh, evil. Way, yeah. No LIJ interference on this entire show. In, in, no, exactly. In That's a matches. very good thing to point out. Yeah, there was no interference in general. Bull Club didn't really get involved either in the main event too, which I was when, – when I saw Omega and Jackson – or when I saw uh, both, you know, the Bucks uh, at ringside, I was like, oh, no, here we go. I thought at least there would be something where they got in and Super Kid and then, you know, Red Shoes had to kick them out and all that they were just there. They were just there supporting, which is like, I'm perfectly fine. Do that all you want. I'm fine with that. Yeah, they were, they that were was there really to support important. and help set up the table spots and do things like that. But yeah, they weren't there to, right, you're right, they were just there to egg them on. And on second viewing, they were just, they were tremendous. I mean, that... Oh, they were so good. They made they 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 were a huge part of making that match incredible. The, the ring mic was turned up all night, and you know, with the amount of swearing in the tag team, t- Gorillas <laughs> of Destiny. Oh my God, they even made me blush, Rich. And you know, uh, some things have happened in this house that that are unspeakable. And it's like, my God, you know, the ring mic. But but the Bucks throughout that whole match. I mean, just with their trash talk and and uh, to Okada and, and the things that they were saying to Omega. But yeah, but but yeah, the the larger point. No, no uh, uh, LIJ interference anywhere to be seen on this show, even on the undercard stuff, which kind of speaks to this point. Maybe this is sort of a slow transition for an A, so I don't know. It's- yeah, and, and, and again, my, my point, and then I'll move on, is that you just don't – it doesn't necessarily have to be this complete turn, which I think you can you can say. I think the Okada Town and Naito as a main event with both these men sort of being on, on – I don't want to say different paths, but Naito being a little bit lighter and then Okada kind of maybe getting you know slightly darker, but not necessarily Okada being evil. You know what I mean? Not Okada being what Naito was months ago, but having a little bit more of an edge. I think you can do that, but I think you can do it where they both kind of come to a middle point and fans can just decide which one they like. And, and you know what I mean? Like, and there's the personality in there. There's the real life personality there where you know Okada is the company guy and some people don't care. Some people like that. And Naito is the anti-establishment guy and they're not afraid. Like WWE would be afraid to have Naito 
challenge Okada because Naito has a rallying from, you know, the anti-establishment or whatever. And then Okada's, you know, the establishment. You don't want to do that. You want to say, I don't know, Okada's our guy or whatever. They're not going to be afraid to do that. They're going to say, okay, cool, buy T-shirts of both. You know, <laughs> okay, Naito fans, you buy all this Naito merch- merchandise. Okada fans, yeah, you buy all this Okada merchandise. Hey, they're going to fight at Wrestle Kingdom. You guys can come and watch it. Like, that's going to be a really cool thing to see. And I think that we're seeing a lot of buildup of that as well. Tanahashi is another one of those where you can have fans that are split on him. There are people that could, are probably going to say, this guy's annoying. He's a you know an out-of-touch 40-year-old that, that has no idea where he stands in this company. But there might be some people that go, no, that's a legend, man. That's that's Roshi Tanahashi. I'm not going to boo him. I'm not going to you know turn my back on Tanahashi. He was giving me so many great moments. But you can make that. And that, that's okay. You can have that. You know, in, in 2017 wrestling, that is perfectly okay to have that. There's a gift floating around to him on New Year Dash after they won the trios titles of just being a total goofball celebrating with the belt. He's going all the way with this, and it's great. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's him, you know, wearing the trio's belt outside the ring, just totally hamming it up. <laughs> and it's like it just totally fits what you know the point that you're making here. But as far as the uh, and and I think it'd be a good full circle thing for Naito too, to truly ascend to the top and stay there without needing to fall back on your gang, and that would be a good full circle story to tell. And, 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 you know, maybe that is the direction they're going. Maybe not. We'll see. As far as this match itself, this had both guys. It was sort of a mirror image match, right? It was both guys working over the leg of the other. And then, uh, and then Naito just being the slightly better man at the end. No bullshit. No shenanigans. Clean as a sheet in the middle. Tanahashi just couldn't get it done against a top guy again. Naito did get it done. And, um, you know, it was a great match. I think, it, you know, it's – did it finish second in the poll that you put up? Uh, yeah, it was, it was at, I think, 11%. Yeah, it I seems said. to be the match of choice for the people who did not love the main event. This seems to be everybody else's favorite match for the most part. And look, It was a little more classic, I would say. Was. A little bit more of a classic New Japan Pro Wrestling style match or whatever. A lot of uh, good work, a lot of good like kind of limb work and stuff too, which was cool. And a lot of fun little callbacks. I know there were a lot of people that enjoyed that match that didn't know the callbacks. You don't recall you know, past Naito Tanahashi matches, but there were unique little callbacks there. There was, you know, I, I liked in the intro video, um, and that's one thing that New Japan can always use, which is a great part about their Young Lions system or whatever, is that they're, no matter what, you can always build and, and show a video of like Naito being a young boy for Tanahashi. You know what I mean? Like that you'll, you'll always have that. If they're native guys, like you're always going to have that, that image of like a younger guy. Anytime you do a young guy, old guy match, you can show that image of the young guy, you know, being a young lion for the old guy and the old guy being like, yeah, this guy was a young lion. You know what I mean? Like that's cool. Like you don't get that in America because they don't let it happen. But in Japan, you can always do that. And it was a great way to build this match too of Tanahashi. And again, the irrational, you know, 40 year old Tanahashi being like, ah, this guy was just a young lion when I was a star. Like who the hell gives a shit about this guy? You know what I mean? Like, and that's cool. That, that adds in. In just another element of the story that you can always tell, and it's always there for you. This was an 18-year-old kid finally beating his dad in backyard hoops. You know what I mean? And for the first time. And, you know, he, 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 his dad's been beating him his whole life, and he finally beats him. But then he kind of feels awkward and weird about it. He doesn't want to rub it in his father's face. That's what the little chest bump was, you know? Yeah, yeah, because he made him look like a fool. Because he absolutely, and then, like, he knows that dad, like, because that's what happened to my dad. My dad never played me again in basketball. The first time I beat him was the last time I played him. And I think him. a lot of people probably have that same story. 
Right, because he, reti- he was like, all right, well, <laughs> you're you're much better than me now. Because uh, I didn't even, it wasn't like I just beat him, like, you know, 11 to 10. I destroyed him. And it was like, all right, well, that's it. <laughs> like, you've become a better basketball player than me. Like, we're done. And, we're and over. It's like, that's and that's fine. Of... And then he never played me again, which is fine. And I, he had, like, a, a handshake afterwards and went, okay, good. You're on your way. You're by. <laughs> like, we're done. The important thing here, though, moving forward is to continue to keep Tanahashi strong enough against the rest of the card. Yeah. He needs to lose to these top guys or at least not beat them. You know, the draw with Okada, the loss here tonight. And but he needs to continue to beat everybody else. He needs to continue winning six or seven matches in the G1s and being a contender. So then when he starts putting some of these other guys over, it still means something. And I do think the long term plan is still going to be Tanahashi putting over Sonata. I think those two matches uh, absolutely were seed planting for a future major Sonata victory over him. I don't know when it's going to be. I think that's the very long-term goal, I think. Uh, but you have to keep Tanahashi strong enough in the inter- interim so he can do that. But, uh, yeah, just uh, another fantastic match um, in, a, in, a, in a string of four straight. I think, uh, real quick before we move on, I, I think him going back and winning those never titles is a good little thing. The next day on New Year's Dash, you know, him being, you know, like so happy about winning that. He can still dominate the, you know, he can still win that. And it's like, oh, cool, look at what I can do. I can still win titles and I'm still great or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, the night before he lost, tonight's in a real big match or whatever. But that's that's kind of this Tanahashi thing. Like you're saying, he, he, he can dominate the undercard. He can dominate the little stuff. He can win those little secondary matches, but he just can't do it against the top stars anymore, which is cool. I really hope that they keep going with that story. All right, uh, Goto Shibata, you want to move on to there, or do you want to actually go uh, match by match now? Or do you have anything to say about Goto Shibata, and then we can... Uh, let's do Goto Shibata. Let's do these... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do the top I, we'll four. We'll do the top four, and then we'll... Yeah, okay. So, uh, Goto Shibata, look, I love this. This was my second favorite match of the night. I liked it a little bit better than, than Tanahashi Naito. I gave it the same rating, but I did prefer this match. Rich, this is exactly what I wanted out of these guys. This is exactly what I want out of this style of match. This was a fucking fight. This was the the best possible combination of street fight, shoot fight, uh, with pro wrestling theatrics thrown in. And it just makes for such a great recipe, uh, which produces a great meal. And I just I, I, I just fucking love this. This match was so vicious and nasty and, and stiff. And, and, and this was peak Goto. When Goto is on, and he isn't always on, but when he's on like he was here, my God, I really thought this was a Goto match more than a Shibata match. Not yes, just, yes, I'm glad you said that. And not just Go because ahead. he won, you know? No, he, he looked the part at the end. Like, he dominated Shibata at the end of that match. It, it was an emphatic victory. It was a rearview mirror sort of victory because I, I forget what he calls that move. The GTR, where he smashes the guy's head into the back of his yeah, thing. Yeah. Well, he, he mixed it up and he did a reverse GTR. And he, which is sickening, which is just a disgusting looking move. To Shibata's In a good to, way. Yeah. To his throat. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. <laughs> and the way Shibata sold it, like with the eyes rolling back into his eyes, and yeah. then for good measure, he didn't need to, but for good measure, he hit him with the standard variation of it where he does it to the back of the guy's head, and that was just a total fuck you. Sort of like Shibata when he puts a guy to sleep and then does the penalty kick when he doesn't need to do the penalty kick. Because he already put the dude to sleep. It's kind of just a fuck you. That's what Goto did to Shibata. He gave him a fuck you, and then he pinned him. I, man, I, th- there was nothing I didn't like about this. They, they even did, listen, they opened this thing up with some grappling. I mean, they, they did a little bit of everything here. They were grappling. They were trading holds, you know, which was a great callback to, like, the, the, the whole high school story, being on the high school wrestling team together. They come out, and they're grappling. 
you know, and Shibata has got the slight edge there. And then, you know, it just turns into your typical never fight. And I know that there's things about these never matches that some people don't like the uber macho stuff, letting, you know, allowing uh, each other to, to hit each other and things like that. But I love that stuff because that's what these matches are all about. It's about being a stupid meathead and letting the other guy kick you in the face with, with this, with this, you know, uber masculine bravado macho bullshit. That's what these matches are about. That's why I like those spots where they're, where they're allowing each other to, to smash each other in the face to try to prove who's tougher. And if you watch the build and if you follow the build, and, and that's why I always say, and I've seen a lot of this because it's it, this show has been so hyped. I've seen a lot of people review these matches and going, oh, the story, there wasn't a story in this match. I don't understand what they were doing here and why did this happen? If you don't know the story of going into this match, you don't understand these characters, you don't understand the context of the promotion, you're not going to fucking understand this stuff. Like, I don't understand why people think you could just parachute it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't parachute into a random lucha match. You know, that's why those, you know, those master versus mass matches, the big, you know, uh, CML anniversary shows, I'll watch them and I kind of go, yeah, they don't really do much for me because I don't know any of the background. I don't care that this guy lost his mask or whatever, but I don't run and go, oh, this is stupid. I didn't care. Who gives a shit that Volador Jr.? You know what I mean? Like, I don't care about that stuff. To me, that, that like, I, I, I try not to, but I've seen people that are saying, oh, well, why did he let him kick? If you watch the build of this match, it was all about a dick measuring contest with this match. You know what I mean? It was like, I'm better than you. You know, you're, you're a piece of crap. You left this. And then Shibata coming back, well, you know, well, you, you left chaos and, and you didn't tell me and all this sort of stuff. Like, that is absolutely the match where you would get this sort of stuff where these guys would, would show that they're not only better by winning – but showing that they're stronger, that they're 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 tougher, that they're a bigger man, that they're a better man, that they're better than the other person. That's not necessarily just oh, I beat you, and I, that proves that I'm better. They wanted to really show each other who the tougher exactly. guy is. They really it's, it's wanted to show each other who had the bigger dick. You know, they're high school friends. They've been friends forever, and they're pissed off at one another. They want to prove that one of them is tougher than the other. You nailed it with dick measuring contest. That's what these never <laughs> matches are. And look, some people don't like that. I love that stuff. I mean, I, I like that kind of stuff. What dick measuring or the? I, I enjoy or... a little bit of dick measuring <laughs> i do not i'm an average size man so i'm not in love with oh, i was gonna say I, I lose a lot of you know what i mean things, it's, so it's that's, uh... I, my, my dick is firmly average okay even when you're actually i'll be honest i don't know so, uh, i don't know i don't really oh my, stop my dick, so. everyone has measured their dick you're no i mean i don't know what my friends are i'm saying if me and my friends had one of those i don't know that i would but don't tell me you've never measured your dick there's no question the nurse has busted out the fucking t- <laughs> She's busted out the tape measure and measured your dick. Every man has measured his dick. I don't think that happened, no. I mean, maybe I did. I don't think the nurse did. You want my wife to get out there and what are you talking about? Yeah, you've never been, like, I'm just saying. You've had a lady that have said, well, wow, hold on a minute. Let me get my tape measure and find out what that thing is. I would say every serious girlfriend I've had at some point. Are you kidding? You Jersey. You guys do it weird there. I would say that at some point, every serious girlfriend I've had has said, let's measure your dick. It's just a really? fun thing that couples do. You've never had a woman, I, no. I never know. had a woman say, "Hey, let's measure your." No, no, I never have. But here's the thing: they never have to because I can come back with them with an exact measurement. I'm always like, <laughs> like I, well, I'll tell you, I measured. It I'm always like, it's always unnecessary. I'm always like, oh no, I can tell you, it's it's this, it's exactly this, and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I fucking know it for years. I measure it all the time. I'm like, is... I'm like on a good day, I can hit this number. But, but like most of the time on an average day, blood I'm the, pressure's doing well. Yeah, we got exactly. Good blood you know, pressure everybody, that day, know, you, know. you know, you know, you know how some days you got a little bit of stronger. You know what I'm saying? You know, you got a little bit of extra manpower going. But I'm saying, like, you've you've never had a woman say like playfully, no, no. like like you know, you're 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 in bed. You guys are maybe just fucking around, and she's like, oh, let's measure your dick. That's never. No, <laughs> no. Are you serious? 
dead serious. Why would that come up? I feel like that it's nobody still like has a like, playful thing. Like, like let's let's stop this. Let me go get a tape measure and find out how big this thing is. Like you're making it very cl- you're making it very like serious. I'm saying it's like a <laughs> playful thing. Like, like yeah, I've I've 100 okay. had multiple women say, "Hey, let's measure your dick." I don't know. I. I is that weird? Is that fucking odd? I think it I is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what other people's. Uh, I, maybe people have to uh, follow up with us on on Twitter to let us know if that is weird or not. But, I would uh, think that the nurse. I'm voting that that's weird. Knowing her personality, know. I'm shocked that she hasn't tried to measure your dick. Uh, yeah, no, she hasn't. So because she seems looser than you, you're very uptight. You know, like <laughs> that's not true at all. You're an uptight dude. You know, it's like I, I, when I picture Creech, I picture just like straight missionary every time. Like. That's not true. You're like, I could picture you like it's 1030. You guys are like, you're watching a movie. It's wrapping up. I could see you being like, so you want to fornicate? Like, that's how I picture you. Like I say fornicate. Yes, fornicate. Yes. Like. like, I ask politely. Yes, you politely ask. Like, madam, may I have your hand? May I lead (laughs) you to the bedroom for some fornication? You know, like that's how I picture you. You might be a wild man. I don't know. You might have gag balls and fucking. I, I don't know what's going on in the, in the crate puzzle. But I pick. What all I'm saying is, I picture you as very sexually conservative. The nurse, I can totally see, mm. busting out the tape measure and saying, "Let's measure your girth, crate. Let's figure it out." You know what I'm saying? I wanna, I wanna... But I, I don't. I get you're getting uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. No, that is that is not a, uh, that is not accurate. So I will. Crate is getting uncomfortable again. I like making him uncomfortable. <laughs> she might. Li- she sometimes listens. So just in case, I got to keep this under. Or my mom listens. So either one of the two. Either one of the two is. is but your mom's a big fan of me, so she likes this stuff, you know. But I guess I don't know if she likes me. I don't know if she it. wants to hear about your dick being measured. No, I, I really feel like she doesn't. So. But I mean, probably. but do do you think Goto and Shibata have measured their dicks? Absolutely, yes. They were after wrestling class one time. They did for like, sure. Right, wrestling class, and it was wrestling an, practice, and it was an wrestling. argument. Right, exactly. It was like, well, mine's no, it's not, no, and then like they they both like they reconvened, like they said, okay, well, we'll go away for a few yeah, minutes yeah, yeah. and come back and let's see, and then they were like, all right, well, they might, they probably put it on the scale too, just to see like weight wise, just to they find out. Hundred percent that those dudes were together when they measured their dicks. But I think you nailed it when you said dick measuring contest. That's exactly what these matches are. And another thing you nailed, it's not just about winning; it's about proving who's tougher. I think that's a theme here too. And another good point you made is people look, pa- people are going to parachute in for the biggest show of the year. But you really can't watch two or three New Japan shows all year and then complain about a lack of storytelling because you just don't understand what's going on. There's a perfect example on the undercard. When we swing back to the front of the card, I know you know what match I'm talking about, where the story of the match went over a lot of people's heads because how would you know it if you're not paying attention? You know, so it's like and it's like you said, you can't just I can't go watch some random indie show from some indie company that I haven't followed all year and then criticize the story because I don't know the stories. You know what I mean? So you make a good point with that, too. This match was vicious. It was nasty. Goto looked tremendous. It was a Goto match all the way. Shibata said in the post-match he's not going to pursue the Never title. So they're going to leave that in the rear view for Shibata. This really reminded me of Kenny Omega's junior loss to Kushida last year, where it was kind of where you have to kind of lose to move forward. You know what I mean when I say that? And, and definitively, too, because Omega did – I mean, Kushida beat him last year. Well, him well Omega did have the, the shoulder up at the pin, which I think was intentional. Because I, I, I think, you know, Kushida, you know, totally, you know, earned the match. But they also wanted to tell the subtle story of he didn't really, you know, the referee missed the shoulder being up because I think they. Yeah, well, I think that was more about the junior heavyweight type dynamic. more Right, than... because they, exactly, because they knew they had plans for Omega as a heavyweight. And they didn't want to completely bury him. 
by losing to the junior. Yeah, and, and Shibata didn't get buried here, but I thought it was a definitive win. So you sure. you, you don't necessarily make Shibata look any worse, but you make Goto look better and, in terms that, yeah. Go to look like a million bucks here. And, and this is a guy who, who always wavers uh, between that. But this is a big moment for him, too. And I know the English commentary uh, really putting that over of, oh, my God, he won, you know, a big time match, a big, time, you know. And, yeah, it's for the never World point title. And he's been an IC champion many times before. And he's won, you know, New Japan Cups and all that sort of stuff. Him, but this, uh, yeah, but... yeah, exactly. But this felt, this had a feel of like, all right, this is a guy that 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 really in a different, like, it, it felt like a definitive win for this guy. Well, it remains to be seen, you know, how long that lasts or whatever, because it is Goto. But it did feel important. The win here. This frees up Shibata to continue his elevation. We talked last week how 2016 was an elevation year for him. 2017 will be the next step. I don't know what that next step is. It might be Intercontinental. It might be a G1 win. I don't know. But, you know, last year was the feud with the third generation, winning Nagata's respect, holding the Never title all year. Now he's putting that behind him, and we'll see what the next steps of his elevation are. Goto has a lot of responsibility. If he's going to be a long-term never champion, he's going to be counted on the main event. Let me tell you something. His first challenger is going to be Juice Robinson, who pinned him at New Year Dash. If he can draw any kind of house, 2,000 fans, 3,000 fans against Juice Robinson at the top of a card, which, believe me, I don't think they're going to have the guts to do that. I think it's going to be a third or, you know, at best a semi-main event, but probably third or fourth from the top on one of the new beginning shows. But if they have the guts to headline with Goto and, and Juice Robinson and, it, and he finds a way to draw, I mean, that's a huge feather in Goto's cap. I like Juice Robinson, but he's not a made guy yet. But a lot of responsibility now for Goto moving forward. But I, I really love this match. It was my second favorite match of the night. I was very tempted to go the full five. But here's the thing, Rich. If I have any doubts in my mind, then I don't, then I don't go with the five. It's got to be, no, be a no-doubter for me. And since, you know, if I waver for a second, I'm going four and three quarters, and that's what I went with this match. All right, Hiromu Takahashi defeating Kushida to become the junior heavyweight champion. This was the match that you mentioned that at, when it was done, you said, well, everybody else, pack it in. You know where you're going to top this. And, like, it, it's gotten completely lost in the conversation after the show because those other matches were so great and they all built on each other. But this one, I mean, this is the first match I woke up for. This is quite the way to start your day, Joe, with, with Takahashi and Kushida. I saw some criticisms of the sloppiness of the match and this sort of stuff. And this is what I talk about where people kind of jump in and maybe they don't know a little bit of the background or they don't really quite understand the story. To me, the sloppiness of Takahashi is perfectly okay because it it adds a sense of danger for any match that he's in. And I, it was that way with all the um, or majority of the Dragon Lee matches I saw, the, the, the Kamatachi Dragon Lee matches. And he's carried it over to New Japan, which is, is good. I, I don't know if it's all intentional to, you know, he's so good at wrestling that he makes himself look like he's trying to kill himself or even actually trying to kill himself. But either way, this had a sense of danger unlike any junior heavyweight match I can remember in, in, in quite some time. And I, I thought this was spectacular. I thought Kushida really capped off an incredible year uh, with this really great match. And I thought Takahashi made himself into a made man in, in one night and a, and a bona fide junior star in this company for the remaining, you know, however long he hangs around. Cause uh, this, this was spectacular. It was a star making moment for, for Takahashi and Kushida only added another, uh, you know, another feather in his cap as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with Hiromu is you kind of nailed it. Like the, the danger aspect to him, he works with such a reckless and frenetic pace that it, it, it does. His matches do feel dangerous. I think, the best comparison I can make is like, you know, 1995 Sabu. He reminds me a lot of like, you just, you got to hold your breath because this guy, 
everything he does feels reckless and dangerous, and it adds to the match. I mean, and that's right. He might fuck up sometimes, like he did with that top rope hurricane run or whatever. But like the idea is to not let the match derail that way. And Sabu was so good about that. He would he would fuck up royally. And but he wouldn't derail. He would just do something equally stupid, you know, the, the second later, and you'd forget that they screwed up at any point. And, and that's just, fine. It, it, it shouldn't always of, be perfect. But that's the thing that it became right. part of Sabu's fiber. Right. He'd jump on the chair and kind of slip off of it, and then you know get really pissed, and then jump on the chair again, and then do it again. You know what I mean? Like he just wouldn't care that. And but that's fine. I thought Takashi in this match, I thought it almost if he had tried to fuck up, it would have been fine. You know what I mean? Like he did it so well and recovered so well, and 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 the way he screws up. It has such a perfect alignment with, with like, because if Kenny Omega and Okada just botched like a dragon suplex or whatever, it would feel you would feel it because those guys are so smooth. You know what I mean? With Takashi, it's like I ah, fucked up, but Jesus Christ, this guy's an idiot. Who the hell knows what he's gonna do next? And then there's a senton and you're uh, onto the floor, and you're like, all right, well, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like you have that idea with him where it doesn't matter that he screws up because it's part of his, the fiber of his being is that he's a reckless nutcase. So it works. I, it's like I know it isn't true. But when when Takahashi, like, is in midair, I feel like he doesn't even have a plan. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He's like, hey, am I gonna do a senton or a body? Yeah, I'll do a senton. Like, like, like I, I, like intellectually, Rich, I know that isn't true. But I, it, he, but that's that's the vibe he gives off. Like, like, in do you understand what I'm saying? Like, almost in kayfabe, I feel like he doesn't have a plan. Even though, like, in reality, I know that can't possibly be true. Like. When he leapt off the apron at Kushida, and then Kushida, and it somehow ended up with him in an, with a cross arm breaker. What the fuck was his plan there? Like, and like, then like you said, he screws up the hurricane. Like, Kushida's up against the ropes, right? And he goes for he jumps off the top. Hiromu jumps off the top rope, and the idea is to give Kushida a rana to throw him out of the ring. But they fuck up the spot and they kind of just collapse to the ground. But it's not like a, a match ruining sort of botch. It's just a, you know, a little minor botch. So what does he do? He kind of just kicks Kushida out of the ring. And he decides, fuck it. I'll do something even more dangerous. Mm-hmm. So he kicks mm-hmm. Kushida out of the ring. He gets back on the top rope. And then he just, I don't know what the fuck. It, I don't know what that was supposed <laughs> right. to be. He just, he just jumps as high as he can in, in Kushida's general direction. And I guess gives him a clothesline, but he was sort of in a senton position. I don't know what the fuck the guy was trying. That's why I say I don't even know if he knows what he's doing when he leaves his feet. And it's like he does these great flying drop kicks all over from every angle, outside the ring, inside the ring. And they fought this like like an intense sprint, like two guys who hated each other's guts. The same way that they went after each other in Cork and Hall to set up this. Remember in the 10-man tag? They ended up fighting in the crowd, and they weren't even part of the match. Yeah. On 12-20, on 12-17 or whatever it was, the second Cork and show. This was like an extension of that. It was all business. They went right after each other. And it was just, it was just, it was, it was intense. And, and the sloppiness and the recklessness absolutely adds to it. He's got that Sabu quality. I think Sasha Banks has a little bit of that. And it's like, not every wrestler can get away with that. You know? It's like, but these are, spe- for whatever reason, these three, and and, I, and there's probably some other examples, there's just something special about them, where they can not only get away with that, like, rough around the edges sort of work, but it enhances and it helps them. And this guy, you know, I, I, I think I, I may have said it in either the book or the review, I can't remember which one, 
But adding him to the roster is no different than adding AJ Styles or Kenny Omega. That's a huge, huge acquisition. It's like he was away for three years, and it's almost like you forgot that he was gone. And you knew he was coming back. But this is the same as adding a big-time free agent in terms of, Rich, this guy is one of the best wrestlers in the world. They're essentially adding an AJ Styles or a Kenny Omega to their roster when a guy like this comes back. And you know what the end result is? Four straight matches on a show like this being match of the year caliber. Because they're so loaded with great workers now that anytime they want, they could have shows like this where four or five matches are just incredible. Because now these any match and look and now Dragon Lee's back. I don't know how permanent this is. I don't. It might just be for Fantastic Mania. I have no idea. But now Dragon Lee comes out of the crowd with the weirdest run in you'll ever see at New Year's Day. I mean, he like wasn't that a weird spot for a run in? It was like just in the middle of the match. Right in street clothes, Dragon Lee in street clothes too, which is really with cool. The mask, of course, and the tracksuit. Yeah, of course. You know, tracksuit there's nothing mask, better yeah. than lucha guys in street clothes with the mask. I love that. I can't get enough <laughs> of that, best, especially yeah. when they're wearing suits and they have the mask. You saw more of that, like in the '70s and '80s. They'd have like the suit on with the mask. I love that gimmick. So he slides in, he t- and you know that was a, a cool callback too, because if you remember last year at Fantastic Mania, who ran in and attacked Dragon Lee out of nowhere? It was Kamatache to set up that singles match they had at Fantasmania. Dragon Lee waited a whole fucking year to get revenge on this guy and do a <laughs> run-in on him. Rich, this is great stuff. I mean, how can you not love this time of year in New Japan? I mean, it's one of the greatest shows of all time. And then the next day, they shoot a bunch of angles. We didn't even talk about Suzuki Gun and Minoru Suzuki choking out Okada. But we'll get to New... Maybe we'll get to New Year's Day so we have time at the end. Yeah, yeah, but, absolutely. But I mean, well, one thing... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just, just going to say that it was a great match, but yeah, go ahead. No, one thing I wanted to say too, what was cool about that aspect, and again, why I said you kind of have to know the context of the story and the context of the wrestlers and all that sort of stuff, is that Kushida is such a, gr- a great wrestler and he's decimated the junior division that Takahashi can't go in there and, and beat him in a wrestling match. You know what I mean? He has to use his body as a weapon. He's got to get reckless. He's got to get wild. He's got to do that sort of stuff because A, that's what he's good at, and B, because if he goes in there and tries to exchange holds with Kushida, he's going to lose. He's going to get put in an arm bar and tap out. Because Kushida's a better wrestler than him. You know what I mean? And that's the story that I think was kind of being told here, is that Takashi knows that he's not a better in-ring wrestler than Kushida. Nobody is in the junior division a better in-ring worker than Kushida, because he just dominated the entire division for an entire year. The only guy that had anything on him was Bushi, who had to cheat to beat him, and then he fucking beat Bushi, you know, a month after he beat him, to prove, no, I'm better than you too. So you needed to not, you couldn't be just a straight wrestling match that Kushida lost, because that's not what Kushida's at right now. It's not the level he's at right now. Takashi had to get reckless, had to get wild, had to use a bunch of random shit shit to beat this guy had to as you said use his body as a weapon going i don't know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna throw my body into him and see what the hell happens because that's what he had to do and that's how he ended up winning this match too is it just he had to be reckless he had to be wild he had to be out of control because you can't be in control against kushida because kushida's just too damn good he's gonna beat you so i thought that was a cool part about it too and again if you just torpedo in or or, or parachute in rather not torpedo well, i guess you could do either one but <laughs> whatever you want to do you can't just jump in and then go okay well i don't understand this why is he doing this and this guy's doing this there's context to these characters there's background of these characters there's a reason without knowing what kushida has done these past few years knowing that he's established this division being a clean cut largely you know by the book sort of guy that's just a better in-ring worker than all these guys you can't you can't understand why takashi had to be the way he was Unless you know that, and unless you know where Kushida is, so that that was another aspect that I love too. Is it just again? It was 
it rewarded you for being invested in Kushida. It rewarded you for knowing a little bit about Takahashi as well. And it rewarded you for being invested in this junior division for so long to see that now this guy is the face of the junior division. When you can really say, oh, geez, he's not better than Kushida. He's just more reckless. He just will give up his body more to win this. And that's cool. Now, whatever they face it off again or whatever, then you have that moment where Kushida can say, hey, no, let's have a good in-ring. Like, I will beat you. If it's just in-ring and if it's just normal, I'm going to beat you. But, you know, Takashi's at a whole different front. A whole different thing than any other junior has. And that that's cool. So I, I love the match for that aspect as well. And just in general, like you're saying, it was just a car re- crash, but it was a perfect type of car crash. And you don't see those in juniors matches all that much. And I'm really excited you about you Takashi now. These Takahashi, Takahashi now matches back. are they're like organized they're like organized chaos. They feel chaotic. They kill they feel like it's completely out of control, but at the same time. He really is in control. It, it, it's an odd, it's hard to explain. Right, he's playing mind games with it's you. He, you think he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He maybe doesn't know what he's doing, but he kind of knows. He, so he has like, a completely different style than yeah. everybody else on the roster. And I'm going to tell you something. You know who has the closest style to him? You know who's a dollar store version of him and who I think can have an excellent match with him? And I know you're not even thinking about this. Desperado. Now that Suzuki guns back. You're right. I wasn't thinking about this, Brad. <laughs> I rarely, if ever, he is a dollar store version of this guy. If you remember, he was in Mexico first and worked that same reckless, crazy style. People thought he was insane. Then Kamatache came in and, and just was a better version of him. And they really are similar. I mean, El Desperado is a fucking nutcase. You know, part of the knock on him is he's almost too reckless to where he almost hurts people. They had to change his finisher. He was killing guys. Let me tell you something. If they choose to do it at some point, it won't be a major defense, title defense or anything like that. Maybe it'll be in best of the Super Juniors if they're in the same block. Maybe it'll be a Takahashi title defense, you know, fifth from the top on invasion attack or something like that. Or, But if they do that match, I'm telling you, that'll be a sleeper match because it'll have that Sasha Banks-Charlotte feel to it where it's two people who might die. All right, let's, uh, let's break down the rest of this card now. We'll start out with the pre-show New Japan Rumble, won by Michael Elgin. What did you think of this one? I thought Michael Elgin looked like he was being forced at gunpoint, <laughs> gunpoint. to participate in this match. Uh, he clearly didn't want to be there. I mean, it was very obvious that the last thing Mike Elgin wanted to do was be in that pre-show Rumble. Once the match got going, I think he was fine, but that entrance was like, you could just see he was seeing. Like, you, see you could see the steam coming out of his ears. I thought he, was, he, was I, thought he, looked, I thought he looked angry, and I thought he looked hurt. I, I thought he was like a sad, angry puppy dog who was like, I had this great year in New Japan, and here I am, literally opening the show as the first guy in the Rambo. He was not pleased. Um, you know, as, as most people suspected, though, if he was in it, he was probably going to win it. And he did. And then he challenged Naito the next night for the Intercontinental title, which I think is the perfect match for Naito at New Beginning because it's an opponent that he should beat. Uh, but it's a competent opponent, and it, there's a backstory to it. And uh, it, it, it's a good, you know, sort of a, a come down for Naito, but not coming down, you know, real far. You know, it's not it's, – it's the perfect opponent for that situation, I think. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that too in our preview, and I, I mentioned it in the written preview that I did, is that everybody kind of thinks of the Rumble and the Rambo is like, aha, it's funny, and there's funny things or whatever. But it, it wasn't but two years ago where they used it seriously, where, where Nagata won, and he was a little hurt by being in it. And he said, ah, you know, I'm better than this, and to prove I'm better than this, I'm going to win this thing, and I'm going to get a title shot out of that. And that's what they're absolutely doing with Elgin as well. So the idea that it always has to be something funny, and it always has to be something over the top, or it doesn't have to be that. I mean, it could be a useful thing to get a guy built up and get a guy ready uh, for something else. And we saw it here, which is a really cool thing. But uh, there was the funny 
Sheamus in there, of course. Uh, here's here's your names that were in this uh, rumble. Uh, so Michael Elgin defeated Billy Gunn, Bone Soldier, Cheeseburger, Hiro Saito, Hiroshi Tana, uh, Tenzan, sorry, Hiroshi Tenzan, Jushin Thunder Liger, uh, Kobayashi, an old uh, junior, Manabu Nakanishi, Rusuke Taguchi, Scott Norton, yes, that Scott Norton, Tiger Mask, uh, Yoshitatsu, and Yuji Nagata. Uh, what were our, what were some highlights of this match for you? Because I had I had one, and that was the Team Two Thousand, was Hiro Saito, Cheeseburger, Scott Norton, and Tenzan. And then they teamed the next night at Dash with the, with, <laughs> with the shirt. They wore the shirt. I love it. I love that Cheeseburger is a part of it too. And I like that there wasn't like, because I'm watching the Rumble and I'm going, okay, those guys are going to look. They're all going to say, because basically what it was is Elgin was on one side of the ring and those guys with Saito, Cheeseburger, Norton, and Tenzan were on the other side. And they all looked at Elgin and I wanted them to all kind of like at the same time look at Cheeseburger and then be like, hey, what's up, guys? And then be like, who the fuck? Are-? No, get the hell out of here. And then just like, you know, eliminate him. But they didn't. They were like, yeah, you know what? You're one of us, Cheeseburger. Join along. Yeah. Which now I'm all in on a Saito Cheeseburger Norton never open weight run. Yeah. How fucking incredible would that be? Because that title, who the hell cares? We'll talk about it later. Who cares? Yeah. Saito Cheeseburger Norton, they win the titles. I think that's. I don't think you're going to get that rich, but I. Damn I, it. I, what, you, what you did get was. A... I'm all in on Scott Norton, though. I want Norton back full time. I, I, so. Listen, I enjoyed. The... <laughs> he looked like a million bucks. I, I enjoyed the, uh, the, the, the reunion next night with, with Kojima, too. So they brought Team 2000 back together. It was Kojima, Tenzan, Saito, and Norton. And cheeseburger, and as they were posing for a picture together in the ring, I don't know if you noticed, but Tiger yanked Cheeseburger out of the picture. Like, listen, pal, you, <laughs> you're not you're not part of it. Yeah, you know, you, you were eight. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't see that, but I'm glad because I, I was during the rumble. I wanted them to turn around and just be like, no, you're not. Yeah, you, you, need to, you need to watch that because you know I, I think it's Tiger anyway. He says, Tiger yanks him away, and the crowd pops too. They're like, yeah, <laughs> that's great. I love Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger needs to be there full time too. The Japanese crowds. I mean, did you hear the pop when Cheeseburger got announced? Because they couldn't quite see, and then they could see Cheeseburger, and they just went fucking nuts. Yeah, and they and they set up a spot where he eliminated Bone Soldier. And it's like these Rambo matches, I thought the first two years were horrendous. And this one wasn't good. Don't get This one was good, but I, I think I, I think it was good. I like the, the I think it was it. the best of the three without question. And I think what, what's happening is they're learning how to book spots into these battle ro- where the first mm-hmm. two years they had no idea. It was just guys going in there. Yeah, oh, you, you put that in your review, too. It was like you watch the first two Royal Rumbles, and you're like, these kind of suck. But then you start seeing that Patterson's got the ideas, and he, he says, okay, that works. Okay, I'm going to write that down, and we're going to use that. And you can see that then you got to the you know 92 Rumble, and that's just like perfection yeah. of a Royal Rumble. You can't do it any better than that. You watch those original Rumbles. They kind of suck. They're not any good. Like it's... Then they, they, he gets it. They get it, and they know what works. They know what doesn't work. They know how to kind of pace these things. So, yeah, it, it might be a few years until we get a truly good rumble. Not that they're ever going to be really that good, but I thought this was, yeah, without a doubt, the best of the this three. This is the best of three. And it's like Japanese Battle Royals always stink. It's just not something that the that Japanese companies do a lot, and they're just not good at them. And it, But they're sort of – like in this one, you saw different typical Battle Royal spots that they were setting up for once instead of guys just going in there and, and being goofy. And, not, and really being lost and not knowing what to do. And I thought the last 90 seconds were actually really fucking good with Elgin and Cheeseburger. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, Elgin threw him over the top. But, I mean, yeah, I, you know, the, to me this was the best Rambo yet. All right. So then we had, uh, as you're affectionately calling the cartoon match, uh, Tiger Mask W uh, defeating Tiger the Dark. I mean, am I incorrect? It's the cartoon match. Oh, uh, the anime. You better say anime, sir. But it's a cartoon. I mean, you're not wrong, but you know, get some angry. But what are they, is it not a cartoon? I mean, why is that? It is, is that insulting? It is. I don't understand. Like, am I being you'll am see. I being condescending by saying the cartoon match? Uh, you'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you. But Rich, it's a cartoon. Later, you're not wrong. 
I don't know. I don't. I don't see why that's disrespectful. <laughs> I mean, I'm pulling a cartoon of cartoon. Yeah, you'll, you'll see. These you'll are see, car- but... cartoon characters, aren't they? They are. They're well, they're anime characters. But Wait, okay. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I don't care. I'm just telling you. I don't. I, I don't. I don't see why that would be insulting. So anyway, yeah, we had to... some people used to get insulted by comic book versus graphic novel. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just telling you. I'm just. It's you know. Listen. It's a weird, you know, if the you'll shit find is out. fucking drawn and it's fucking for kids, it's a cartoon. I'm sorry, it's a fucking cartoon. What do you want from me? Look, it's it's fucking it's animated. It's a fucking cartoon. I call the Pixar movies cartoons too, and technically they're not, right? Those are like I'm not laughing about you. I'm laughing at uh, uh three minutes ago, like five minutes after uh Cassius Ono redebuted uh in XT. Guess who's got a picture shaking hands with Cassius Ono oh, saying welcome back. <laughs> There he is. Yeah, he makes you sick. I mean, it's not going to be on TV for like, you know, like, and again, this this should end the spoiler debate right there. Yeah. Right there, end the spoiler debate, and we never have this ever again. Because this thing's not going to air for fucking three months. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be weeks before this airs. Yeah. And Triple H is already <laughs> shaking hands. By the way, the guy who cost people titles, you know, in WWE, right, is shaking hands with the guy saying, hey, welcome back or whatever. So can we fucking end this spoiler debate? Now I take back me saying spoiler earlier. If he can do it, I can do it. So, okay. Carry on. Tiger Mask W. Tiger the Dark. So the opener of this fucking show was Kota Ibushi versus ACH. It did turn out to be ACH. As again, broken here on the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast. Our savvy listeners get all this news before anybody else does, even if they have to read between 19 different lines to get it, because I refuse to say things directly anymore. Uh, the smart listeners knew that this was going to be ACH. Um, I think what was funny about this match, and I gave this you know, a little three-star match. You know what I mean? If this would have been Kota Ibushi versus ACH and not been a cartoon match, I think they obviously could have had a much better match, especially if they had more than six minutes, but they're working to the characters. At least ACH is as Tiger of the Dark. Because Kota Ibushi, Rich, just does not give a fuck. I mean, this guy, he could... <laughs> <laughs> this was worse. I mean, the first one we talked about him kind of like, he, you know, he did the the, 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 the moon salt to the outside and he did a little. This was just straight up tiger suplexes, kicks, and then the, the golden triangle moon salt. Yeah, like, like... He, here's how he works these matches he'll do like one token tiger suplex to work to the character, and then the rest of it is a Kota Ibushi match. It's, it's, he just doesn't care. Um, ACH, I thought, did an excellent job avoiding his ACH spots, right? You didn't see a lot of that, you know? It's like, he didn't... I thought he tried... Yeah, he did, like, the, the abdominal stretch and, 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 like, grimace. You know what I mean? Like, I think he was outwardly trying to not do what ACH does, which is good, which is cool. Yeah, he wasn't in there doing Air Jordans and the clothesline in the corner and all. You know, he didn't do any of his signature shit at all. Uh, he did do the one nice dive in the beginning of the match. I thought, look, it was this, for a six-minute match, I think these guys did as well as they could. And um, it, it just seems like these masks are bulky, and these guys have trouble with these cartoon masks, though. Um, I don't, you know what else is funny, too, is Tiger the Dark is not a black dude in the cartoon. He is not at all. No. He's either a white dude or an Asian dude. I don't watch the cartoon, so I don't know. But he's light-skinned in the cartoon, right? So you have a black guy playing it, which is fine. I don't think that's a big deal. I don't think it matters. But what's funny is, is the Tiger the Dark mask has the, has the hair extensions, like the the long, did you notice that the long black hair? Oh, it was hard to not notice ACH's gigantic head of hair. Yeah, it, it, it's like <laughs> like down to his ankles. And the it was problem so long, was it was yeah. get, it was I think it was getting in his way. Like he kept brushing it out of the way. Like it's like well, it was long. It was like on the back of his knee or whatever. It was it so that, weirdly long. I mean, yeah. it was, no, it was long as hell. I mean, I'm joking. I'm exaggerating, but it was long down as hell. To, like, a portion of his back for sure. So uh, it was a very weird mask, but. uh but yeah, I thought it was a nice little opener, you know? It was a nice little six-minute match. It couldn't have been much better than that for six minutes. And 
Um, you know, we'll see if they continue the Tiger the Dark character moving forward. We haven't seen Red Death Mask uh, since the last Tiger Mask W match. But, um, you know, what else can I say about that? I really don't have much more to add. Yeah, I thought it was just okay. Um, I, I think the issue is, yeah, the masks are really kind of... And, and I think the issue, too, is these guys don't want to go out. I think especially Coda doesn't really want to go all out and have just, you know, a fantastic match or whatever. And he's not supposed to. He's really just kind of, you know, advertising the enemy. And, like, again, it's frustrating because it's Kota Bushi, and you're like, oh, jeez, man, you're so good. Like, like God, you could be in the, you know, the semi-main event. You could be in the main event if you really wanted to, but you'd rather be in the opener for six minutes doing an anime character. And it's like, yeah, he, he, he kind of would. So it's impossible to really have expectations of what Kota Bushi can do and whatnot. But uh, I thought it was fine for what it was but yeah it was it was supposed to be quick in and out it wasn't supposed to be kind of a big deal i i, I was hoping they were gonna have a little bit more time and maybe get a little bit more inventive but i, I guess that wasn't really the point of no it, it wasn't uh, the point of it the point of it was to go out there and have a six minute match and put tiger yeah. mass w over you know and that's the yeah, exactly. i kind of feel bad for ach because he has to kayfabe it and he can't tell people he's in he's working the <laughs> right, right, he yeah. can't tweet he's not part of the um press conference you know he's part of this show and he's getting his big break in new japan he's working wrestle kingdom and he has to kayfabe everything he can't even like you know everyone else is tweeting out pictures from their hotel room and the classic picture of course is always tweeting out the picture of the dome the night before from your right, from your hotel window, window. yeah you know yeah, that everybody exactly. does and then you know everyone gets to do the press conference on the third and do a little and and this guy you know he's obviously under strict orders to kayfabe it and it's like you can't even soak in the glory you know it's like i'm sure people are sending him tweets and he can't even respond to them you know it's like, it's, it's kind of it's it's kind of a it, you know it's you kind of kind of feel bad for him i'm sure he's thrilled that he's playing an anime character cuz you know he's into that stuff it's like his big thing but at the same time it's kind of like bittersweet for him all right, then we had Rapungi Vice defeating the Young Bucks to become the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag uh, Champions. And I think this was the match you were alluding to a little bit earlier, that if you don't know the story, if you don't know the background of the characters, you haven't been following the, the company, you haven't been following uh, the Rapungi Vice's journey throughout this year, that you're not going to understand this match. And I think that is absolutely correct, uh, that this is really a match that if you just jumped into this, you might say, yeah, it was good, it was well worked, it was fine. But if you knew the story of Rapungi Vice leading into this, you'll think it's spectacular, because I, I, I thought it was so cool. If you're someone who doesn't follow New Japan, this is a three and a quarter star match, right? But it's yeah, like three, three and a quarter. Yeah, it was fine. Somewhere in that like, range, you know, yeah. a little above average or whatever. If average is two and a half, this is a three and a quarter star match. You know what I mean? But it's like, I loved this fucking match. And I, 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 have, I couldn't wait to talk about this match on this podcast. Man, this just, this just hit me in, in, in a place where it's like, you know what? A match just connects with you and you get excited. You know what I mean? Like that that's what happened for me once Trent took that bump. When he took that bump on the ramp and I realized what they were doing, I was like, "Holy shit, this is a good match that just became great." Depending on how the rest of this story goes and the way they finish it off. And Rich, I was really hoping that Trent never recovered. I didn't want to see Trent recover. I wanted to see Rocky do it by himself and complete the story. And that ended up being the story that they told. And for people who maybe don't know what we're talking about, Rapongi Vice, for the second half of 2016, were having lots of problems. Trent was picking up all of the wins for the team. And every time that they lost, it was Rocky taking the pin. And Trent was getting increasingly frustrated.